What is up, everyone? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm really excited about this episode because I am bringing one of my top three favorite episodes when I first started, and all these three people that I interviewed for the first time are like huge idols of mine. So number one is Krista Scott Dixon. I've had her on my show so many times, and funny enough, this first interview that I had with her, I was so goddamn nervous to interview her to a point where like maybe 10 minutes right before I was going to cancel. So thankfully I didn't. And the interview was just so amazing. And all three of these episodes are strictly on weight loss, how to gain strength, how to gain muscle, everything that you need to, again, get 2022 under your belt as a successful year. Um, The second interview is with another legendary person named Dan John. He's been in the industry probably for close to 40 years, has helped so many people out there, and I kind of always enjoyed his way of coaching. It's like, no BS, straight to the point. It's not fancy. It's not bells and whistles. It's just hard work. Lift something up and put it down and eat veggies, eat protein, and that's it. You call it a day. Uh, the third person, really excited about this. His name is Jordan Syed. Um, for those who know who he is, you'll probably know him because he was the, well, he still is the trainer of Gary Vaynerchuk. Posts a lot on social media. He's helped thousands if not ten thousands of people uh, with weight loss and all the information with him is similar to dan john just straightforward a little bit you know different of approach but i'm really excited to bring all these three episodes together that you can't listen to um with spotify or um, apple music or anything like that because can't scroll that far back because this is episode 8, 10, and 11. So huge treat to bring these back. And here we go. Enjoy. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I have a lovely guest with me. Her name is Krista Scott Dixon. Hey there. Uh, so let's kind of jump right into it and kind of start with who you are, what you do, and kind of go from there. Okay, so I currently uh, design coaching curriculum for a company called Precision Nutrition that some of your listeners may know about. Uh, So we do online coaching for people who are looking to, you know, get in shape, change their bodies, get healthy, whatever. And then we also certify coaches like fitness trainers or anyone who wants to be a nutrition coach. So I also write some of the curriculum for our coaching certifications. So I kind of do like curriculum education. I do speaking and, and teaching and presenting as well. So that's my role at Precision Nutrition. And then my background is, I like to say that I'm an escaped academic. So I used to be a university professor and, uh, and then I left academia. So this is what I'm doing now. And uh, it's, it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like I actually have my uh, level one in Precision Nutrition and I thought it was awesome. And it kind of just gets to the point and really easy to understand if you're a client getting coached by a PN coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you for getting your level one. That's no joke, actually. Yeah. Well, I really want to get the level two, but I got to get some more spare cash. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, I mean, from my completely unbiased point of view, I will say it is worth it. Yeah, I saw the curriculum in uh, one full year. That's 
that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it really is. It's like trial by fire. Like you, you come out the other end and you're like not scared of any coaching situation ever again. <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> uh, so touching on that, what's kind of like your philosophy on nutrition and healthy eating and how would you like work with a client? Like how would your like whole process go with that? Um, this is such a good question because I like the, the question of a philosophy, like is something I think a lot of people don't even think about, like, like, like what is your meta theory of coaching or, or nutrition or health? I think a lot of people actually don't ever stop to think about like, what am I even trying to do here? Right. And so it's such a great question. I've been sort of thinking about it and, and I don't know if I've actually come to a complete answer, but I think that one of the pieces is helping people, like any kind of health, fitness, nutrition project should really help people change and develop and grow through finding their own strengths and their own resources. Because I think we focus a lot on people's weaknesses, quote unquote, or, you know, all the things that they're doing wrong or, you know, and, and clients do this too. Like they'll come to us and they'll say, oh, I was so bad and I did this and I'm, you know, doing that. And I did this wrong and blah, blah, blah. Right. So it becomes this kind of like, confessional, right, of all the things they're doing wrong. And and to me, that just feels very demotivating and, and disempowering. And so I'd like to start from this question of like, what are people doing right? And what do they actually know now? Or what skills do they have now? And it's often a lot more than they realize, because most of our nutrition clients or health clients or fitness clients are like completely functioning people <laughs> in yeah. other areas of their life, right? They have jobs and they do grown up things and whatever. So, um, like, I, I think sometimes we forget to look for those strengths and resources. And so, you know, for, for example, like, let's say you have a client who is super organized in their job and are having trouble with, you know, meal planning or something like that. Well, it's not a huge jump to say, Hey, look, let's take your skills in organizing and just bring those over into the domain of nutrition and food and health to get you organized with some kind of plan to help you eat better. And it's funny because it's so obvious when you say it and then people are like, oh yeah, I never yeah. thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so that actually makes coaching really nice and fun and smooth. So it, it really is a strengths-based philosophy. Like how can we take what you've got and make it better and make it stronger and also sort of treat the human body as a very resilient, resourceful thing, right? And explain to people, like, if you are eating poorly or, or doing things like emotional eating that you're not really happy about, it doesn't mean that you suck. It, it means that your body is trying to solve a problem in a very resourceful, you know, but incorrect kind of way. But if you, if you look at it from this perspective, you can go, actually, it makes complete sense that I might be emotionally eating or that my body would store body fat, you know, and sock it away for a rainy day. Like it's actually, you know, it shows that my body's actually working properly. So that's generally the, the, you know, approach I like to take. And then in terms of practical strategies, I really like to make it behavioral and experiential. So instead of like telling people a bunch of stuff, I'm like, Hey, here's a little thing to try, go and try it and, and see what happens. Or, here's an experiment, go and give that a, a go and just see what you notice, see what you discover. So it's very hands-on, very experience-based, very behaviorally based because really, you know, I mean, how many times have we tried to 
solve a problem by thinking about it, right? And we and we think and we think and we think and we're like, maybe I'll just think harder. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get nowhere, right? Exactly. Like we spend a lot of time thinking because it feels like we're doing something, but we're not actually doing something. So I like to get people actually doing something as quickly as possible. Yeah, like I find like when I deal with my clients, like the moment we talk about their diet, it's almost like they feel that they have to change everything and everything they're doing is wrong and they suck. And I'm like, honestly, let's just focus on one little thing that doesn't seem so overwhelming and you'll feel great right after. Like if it's just like you're skipping breakfast, it's like, why not we just try having breakfast? It could be a freaking Pop-Tart to start. I don't really care as long as you kind of build that habit of thinking, oh, I need to start adding breakfast in that's not a big deal to me something like that yeah I love what you're saying there too because I think people might be listening and they might be saying oh but isn't a pop-tart terrible and and, you know like we can work with that but but I love this point that you're making that we're starting at zero right yeah and a pop-tart is better than zero so like every movement away from zero as far as I'm concerned is a bonus and the other thing I like in what you're saying there is we are playing the long game as coaches, right? So I don't really care what you do today. I don't really care what you do tomorrow. But over time, like over months and weeks and you know, maybe even years, that's when things start to really unfold. So I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about what's happening like right in this minute, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I like, uh, what's his face, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. He always says that he plays the game of the marathon and never the sprint. Mm -hmm. that'll that'll lead you to long-term success and that's what I try to tell everybody that I work with it's like it's not going to happen in 30 days it's not going to happen in 60 like one full year of being consistent with new lifestyle changes is going to like blow you away when you get to that point yeah and of course no one wants to hear that right (laughs) (laughs) yeah I was like can you fix 40 years of bad eating habits in a week please (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) I have something to go to on Saturday so if you could make that all go away that would be great (laughs) what do you mean I can't drop 10 pounds in a week (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so what's kind of like the most common obstacle or challenge you see with your clients or just in general with PN clients that try to fix their eating Um, You know, I think a lot of it has to do with what you were mentioning earlier, which is trying to do too much at once and then either getting overwhelmed or getting burned out. And, and I think there are different kinds of people like that, you know, people, people have different headspaces around this. And so, for example, someone who is a really high functioning achievement oriented person will try to do a lot and then just get burned out. Right. Um, And then someone who is a little bit you know, kind of needs a little bit more of a chill approach. They might try to do too much and they'll feel overwhelmed. So in either case, you kind of come to nothing, right? Like both groups of people are, are, you know, frustrated and demotivated and and not really getting the results they're looking for. So I think for whatever reason in North America, we're just in love with speed and we're in love with stuff, like accumulating stuff and hoarding stuff and doing stuff. And, And so I think it's very difficult for most people to... Uh, have to slow down and be methodical and do one thing at a time because it's just not in our programming really for most of us. So I, I think that's one of the biggest ones. I mean, the cool thing is once people get the hang of it, they're like, wow, this is awesome. Right. And they, and they see how they can do it elsewhere in their lives. But I think that's really one of the, the biggest overarching issues. Um, the other one I would say is that 
and they're related, but people don't have a lot of self-awareness. Um, and part of that is just rushing, you know, part of that is trying to do a bunch of stuff at once. And so you're not really paying attention to any of them. It's like that classic, you know, driving while trying to send an email and listen to the radio yeah. and talk to the person in your car. And meanwhile, you're just like mowing down pedestrians because <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not doing anything well. You're sending gibberish emails. Um, and so, you know, I think people really lack self-awareness, again, just because that's what it's like to live in 2016. Um, and so one of the very simple tools that we use is just helping people build awareness of what they're actually doing. So before I even try to solve a problem for a client, I'm like, let's just get a sense of what you're doing. Like keep a little journal or just take some notes or take a picture, like depending on whatever it is we're trying to look at. Um, just check in and notice what is going on and we'll worry about changing it later, but just notice. And often awareness on its own will start to change people's behavior, which is really cool. And it's also sort of a, I don't know, people, people feel better when they're more aware of what's happening. They feel less out of control of their lives. So, so those are the two kind of overarching ones, I would say. Yeah. I think self-awareness is huge. Cause like when I work with a new client, I kind of like just ask them, like, so, like, how's your eating going? And they're like, oh, I eat pretty good. And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, but okay, let's let's, let's, let's let's hear you out, right? Yeah, I always think of Dr. House saying everybody lies, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're not, and it's not that they're, like, they don't, they're not trying to mislead us. It's more that the human brain is really, really good at hiding things from us, right? So, like, I might genuinely believe that I'm eating well. And I have been in that situation myself, right? I have my own nutrition coach, and I was lying to him. Again, not intentionally, but, like, convinced that I, that I was doing stuff I wasn't doing or, you know, not doing what I was doing. So, um, so we're just really bad at it as, as human beings. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I always love that. Like people are always saying, yeah, I eat really healthy. I eat pretty good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's check that hypothesis out. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like for me, like even in my brain, sometimes it's like middle of the week and I'm like, eh, I could have a piece of cheesecake. I worked out today. It's all good. <laughs> but like that, that stuff adds up eventually if you constantly think like that. And I think with clients, if they're not even aware that they're making those small little habits every day or like, you know, the extra beer here and there, it eventually adds up throughout the week, throughout the month and boom, like a year goes by and you're like, oh, how did I gain 10 pounds? Yeah. And, you know, the research shows that we can uh, incorrectly estimate our intake by something like, you know, in extreme cases, like a thousand to fifteen hundred calories a day, which for people listening is like almost an entire day's worth of intake, right? Oh, like yeah, it's, it's quite a, it's not like half a sandwich. It's like an entire sandwich and a milkshake. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like even for me, like I experimented uh, with a cutting diet and it was like the worst experience of my life. Cause I like calculated every single calorie. And at one point I was eating, I think it was like 1500 calories or less. And the amount of food that 1500 calories is, is so little so that idea of like a regular client eating around 2000 to 2500 they're probably overeating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um the other thing I was going to ask is like when you're coaching a new client, like at what point do you kind of see like a breakthrough or a success with them? Is it like at the 30-day mark, the 2-month mark or like half a year? Like what's kind of the average? Uh, you know, I think, I think maybe 
there is no average. I think everyone is different. And, uh, you know, some, some clients are really ready. They're really like completely ready and willing and able. And they almost just take off right from the beginning. Boom. They're, they're either their bodies respond quickly or if their bodies don't respond quickly necessarily, their head does, you know, they, they start changing their thoughts and changing their perspective and changing their habits like right away. Uh, those are like your early adopters, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, and then some people maybe for whatever reason are not in such a state of readiness. Um, and it takes them a little bit longer and they need more of a, a gentle and slow approach. Um, sometimes that's psychological and sometimes it's also physical. Like, let's say you have a client who is coming to you who's recovering from an injury or, uh, you know, uh, coming off a long period of overtraining or has some kind of hormonal disruption that really needs a long, slow process of, uh, you know, nutritional adjustment or something. Um, so really everyone is, is quite different, but I would definitely say that we really see significant changes around the eight month mark, um, in our PN coaching program. So it's a year long program and, I, I really see changes about the eight month mark. Like people are like, Oh, like everything starts to kind of come together. And there are very like predictable stages too. like the three or four month mark. People are like, they're getting the idea that this is not like all fireworks and parties. You know? yeah. <laughs> they're like, Oh, this is like not a fun thrill ride all the time as I had kind of hoped. Um, and sometimes around the six month mark, they just need to take a break. But then by the eight month mark, it just sort of starts to come like everything starts to gel. So I find that kind of a magical time, the eight month mark. And again, it's, it's different for everyone, but that seems to be optimal for most people where all the things come together. Okay. How do you, uh, deal with like, I would, I would categorize them as like lame excuses where an example would be like if you have your client doing food logs and you kind of want to just have them do it just to see what they're eating and then, you know, halfway through coaching them, they're like, ah, I don't really feel like I should be doing these anymore. It's too stressful for me or something like that. Like how would you deal with an excuse like that? Yeah, I like so so in psychology they call this resistance, right? And yeah. And resistance is such a fascinating thing to me actually because resistance is really information about where people are at and so if you're a coach and you kind of get frustrated by this um then that won't go anywhere because you'll be like oh why is this person being a jerk (laughs) Why why are they giving me like bullshit excuses and stuff um but if you treat resistance as insight and information and you get really curious about it then it kind of opens up the door to learning more about people. So let's say you've given your client, let, let, a food journal is a perfect example, and, and they're not doing it. For, and, and, they're, and either they're outright refusing, which sometimes happens, or they're doing the more passive forms of resistance like, oops, I forgot, right? Yeah. Oops, I forgot my sheet at home, or oh, I was too busy, or whatever. To me, that's very interesting, and I start getting curious about that. And so I talk about that, like, oh, uh, you know, um, tell me more about, about journaling for you. Like, is this something that you want to do right now? Um, do you need help? Like, cause sometimes there are different reasons for it, right? Like sometimes people are just disorganized, right? And so the coaching there is around organization and planning and finding a way to make it super easy for this person to journal. So with that client, I might be like, Hey, you know what? Uh, you always have your phone with you. Snap a picture of what you're eating boom, done. Takes you like five seconds, right? 
Um, with another client who doesn't really want to know what they're eating right now, we might talk about that. Like, is this something that you're ready to do right now? Um, is this bringing up something for you that you would really rather not deal with? Right? Like, you can kind of have that conversation. And sometimes they just need to say, I don't want you as the coach to see what I'm eating right now. You know what I mean? Which opens up a whole different kind of conversation because you're going in there thinking, oh, God, what is wrong with this person? They suck, right? Like secretly deep down, that's what you're thinking, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then you leave out of that conversation going, oh, you know what? This person is really struggling with some stuff and they think that I'm judging them. And so this was actually like surfacing this resistance was actually an opportunity for me to talk about judgment in the coaching relationship, right? And so we, we kind of got it on the table. We were able to talk about like the fact that I'm not judging them and whatever. So, um, you know, and so we left that encounter with a renewed understanding of what we're even doing here and maybe the client was willing to do it. So I treat all quote-unquote resistance as information. There's something else happening with the client that I don't yet understand or know about. Yeah, I kind of look at it as like there's something going on and they want to kind of make the excuse that, oh, I don't have time for the food logs, but there's probably something else causing them not to feel like they should be writing down everything they're eating. There might be something else. Mm -hmm. I kind of just like make little notes about like, okay, this person did this, but I don't really know how to like intervene or kind of like, hey, maybe you should try this or maybe you should do something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and this is, I mean, I, I think a lot of the time too, as coaches, we feel like we should do something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like I got to do something right away to fix this. And I encourage people to sort of not fix things right away. Right. Um, and so let's say we have this client, right. Who's come to us and they're just not doing this. Uh, you know, we can, we can, there's lots of, there's techniques for kind of working through this, but one of the options that's always on the table for you as a coach is to say, is this not, is this a good time to do this? Like, are you ready, willing, and able to do this right now? Um, and if the person says, yes, yes, absolutely. I really want to do this. You know, then the direction goes one place, but someone might say, you know what? I just, I don't want to do this right now. As the coach, you're like, okay, cool. I can always take that off the table. We don't have to do this right now. So, you know, for a coach, there's always the option of not fixing things right now. There's the option of allowing the client to sort of sit with the uncomfortableness of it. And you can, I mean, you can have a grown up conversation and say, look, um, you know, a food journal is a useful tool. Here's how I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm not seeing it as a way to judge you. It's just for me to understand what's happening. But, you know, right now, if you don't feel like that's something you want to do, cool. We'll try something else. Um, I have some ideas about what our next steps might be. Um, and you might have some ideas. So let's write all those down and see if we can come to sort of some place of agreement where we're both going to agree on what your next steps are. So you can always come back to it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I always say like, it really depends on the person if they made like their health a priority at the moment that, you know, you're coaching them through nutrition because they might be, say, putting only 50% effort into improving their health while at the same time, who knows if they're dealing with like a divorce or they like bought a new house or a baby's on the way. Like you, you don't really know the whole story. So you yeah. kinda, I feel like I always kind of try to give them as much slack as possible at the same time, kind of guiding them to the right direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we come back to this idea of, of playing the long game, I mean, ultimately, the quality of my relationship with a client is vastly more important than making them do what I want them to do right now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so there have been times when I've said to a client, hey, man, we don't need to do this right now. Like, let's just, I was on a, a, a coaching call yesterday, actually, with a client who's just, just got back after a long traveling, you know, experience and was tired. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's just take a break. <laughs> yeah. you, you just need a break right now. Um, and that's perfectly fine, right? Like I think uh, we don't need to be on clients' cases all the time. We, we flow with them, right? We sort of assess the situation. And, and in, in our level two certification, we talk a lot about being client-centered, right? Really having that empathy for the client, feeling for where they're at, that compassion for them, and just trying to track with them, right? Some days they'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, let's kick the world in the ass, right? That, oh, great. That's, that's when you have your superstar day. Other days are going to come in. Like you say, they've got a new baby. They're going through a divorce. Things are crazy at work, whatever. You know, really, for most coaches, unless you train elite athletes, most of your clients can't possibly give the level of attention to their health and fitness and training that you want them to, right? Yeah. <laughs> they just can't. The, the pie of their life it has so many other slices in it, right? So... Um, and that's something sometimes it's hard to remember, but I, I do try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Like I also look at like the calendar year that, you know, during summer, I even tell clients the best outcome during summer is to maintain your weight. Realistically, you're probably not going to lose any weight and, you know, enjoy yourself. And then when you get back into September, like kind of get into that mindset where, okay, this is where it's time to get serious. Yeah, and, and there are these cycles in people's lives, right? And, and they're totally normal. And, and someone might just, you know, not feel like training for a month. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to ask is, like, how do you help motivate a client where they just seem like they have none? <laughs> I don't, actually, to okay. be totally honest. Yeah. I, I mean, it comes back to the sort of ready, willing, and able thing. Like, I sort of see my job as a coach not to give them motivation necessarily, but to uncover any intrinsic motivation that they have. So, because often people want to do something, but they don't even really know why they want to do it, right? Like they'll come to the gym and say, well, I want to lose weight. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Why? I just do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like that's not a good, like that's not going to keep you getting out of bed in the morning, right? Like when it's a cold day in February and it's like six in the morning and that alarm goes off. I just do is not going to get you out of bed. <laughs> yeah. So, so really my job as a coach is more to help you articulate what is driving you, uh, what is pushing you, what is pulling you, and also to shift your attention as much as possible towards the pulls rather than the pushes. And so what I mean by that is a push is like something you don't want, right? Like I don't want to be out of shape. I don't want to have pain in my knees. I don't want to die an early death, Right. And that's kind of a good starter motivation because I think a lot of us come to fitness because of some scare or some cautionary tale or something bad happened to us, right? I mean, that's certainly how I started. Um, but you want to shift their attention to the pulls. And so the pulls are the intrinsic inner game kinds of benefits to things. Like I feel good inside when I do this. I feel good about myself. I feel more confident. I feel like a role model for my kids you know, I have more energy, I'm sleeping better, like all these things that really have nothing to do with how I look or how people, you know, perceive me or, you know, my external performance, they're all kind of like happening inside me. Um, and they're very positive things. Those are pulls. Like I like feeling good. So now that I've 
access feeling good. I want to do more feeling good. So as much as possible, I try to shift people away from, you know, what they don't want and towards what they do want. Hey, maybe I would like to be in good enough shape to go surfing in some really nice tropical location. Or, you know, maybe I want to take that trip of a lifetime and walk along the Great Wall of China or just whatever, right? So, so as a coach, I don't really give them motivation. I, I uncover their motivation and remind them of it, right? Um, and, and kind of keep keep attuning to what is truly important to them. And that means accepting the possibility that maybe they won't care. Um, a friend of mine, another coaching colleague, has this idea of caring units. That as a coach, we have so many caring units. Um, and clients have caring units too, like how much they care. And we as coaches should care one unit less than our clients do. Like we should never care more than our clients do because we'll get nowhere. Right. And we'll just get burned out and frustrated and, you know, pissed off. At them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, so they have to care just enough and we can help boost them. Right. But ultimately our job is really to contact them with what they want and what would be in alignment with their values. And we've had people start coaching at PN coaching, you know, with uh, motivations that aren't really theirs um, and then they'll drop out. And then six months later, they'll come back and be like, oh, now I know why I'm doing this. And then they're great. Yeah, like sometimes um, when I'm talking to a client and say they're not numbers based or like, I don't care about dropping 10 pounds. I just want to feel better. And then I kind of try to pick and pull like what does feeling better mean to them. Mm-hmm. And like, even if it's something small, like, you know, if they take the stairs in their building and they're not huffing and puffing by the time they hit the third floor, like, that's a huge goal like to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like as a coach, once you know what matters to them, you just hit that and hit that and hit that and hit that. Like, how are you feeling today? Oh, are you feeling better? Awesome. Like you just keep drawing their attention to it. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I was going to touch on is like kind of like eating behaviors. Cause a good example is like, if you have a client and you know, they had a stressful day at work and they're like, you know what? I need a couple beers. And then, six pack later they're like i'm gonna feel horrible tomorrow <laughs> right <laughs> like how how do you deal with that or like if it's to a point that it's really bad like how do you can you even like intervene or is that the point where you should be like maybe you should go see somebody else that's not me to help you with that <laughs> right like i've always been curious about that because i've had some instances with certain clients that will open up to me and like just tell me everything laid on a table and I was like in my head like wow man I wish I knew what to say right now (laughs) yeah yeah oh for sure and I'm sure that almost every coach if they're even halfway sympathetic has had some version of that right uh whether that's eating whether that's drinking whether that's anything else right life stuff um and so this is this is where I come back to this kind of basic attitude of just curiosity and exploration and empathy and compassion, right? And so generally, when people are doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing, they're not trying to be dicks about it. It's that for some reason, this is an attempt to solve a problem. And they're not solving it correctly. <laughs> you know, they're not solving it in like the most optimal way. But it is an attempt to solve the problem. So I have a stressful day at work. I come home. I have a beer. I feel better. Oh, problem solved, right? Yeah. And I have six beers. Now the problem is really solved. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now, of course, I've created new problems, right? So, but, but, but if I understand drinking six beers as a misguided attempt to solve a problem, then it starts to make sense. And so as the coach, 
at Precision Nutrition, we have these questions. We call them the two crazy questions. They're actually from motivational interviewing, but we've just pared them down to two. And so the first question is, okay, what is good about what you're doing? Like, what is good about drinking a six-pack of beer? How does it benefit you? How does it serve you? How does it help you? And then the second question is, what would be bad about changing that? What would you have to lose? What would you have to give up? Well, you'd have to face your stress. That would suck, right? Um, and those are kind of like two opposite questions. That's what we call them the crazy questions because clients are expecting us to say, you know, well, that's so bad and you shouldn't be doing that and blah, blah, blah. But if we start by affirming that there's something good about what they're doing, all of a sudden it starts to shift things in their brain. They're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Uh, geez, I guess it helps me relieve stress. Yeah, I guess that's why I'm doing it. And what would I lose? Well, I don't have any other way to cope with my stress. As the coach, you're like, ooh, ding, ding, ding. Now, now we start to see the path. Okay, this person needs a way to cope with their stress. Maybe I'm not even going to touch the beer drinking. But what I'm going to do is say, hey, you know what? How about on the way home from work, you just stop by here at the gym for like half an hour and we'll work on some of that stress, right? Um, and by the time you leave, maybe you'll feel better and you won't want a beer, right? So you start, you start replacing um, you know, the unwanted behaviors with positive experiences. Uh, and so maybe the person you know, comes to see you after work and they go home they're like, yeah, you know, I don't even really need a beer. I feel way better now. Yeah. So, so that's one way to play it. But I think the openness and the non-judgmental attitude are really, really important. Because if I say to you, hey, that's terrible. You shouldn't be drinking all that beer. You're going to be like, no, you can't take away my beer. Like you, you'll immediately dig in and become defensive or you'll feel like an idiot or, you know, whatever. So that kind of curiosity, like, wow, what's that beer about for you uh, is, is a great place to start. And also the empathy, like, man, I feel you. You know, your job must be challenging if that's what you feel you need to do. Um, and often just accepting people creates change. It's sort of a, a lovely coaching paradox, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like the clients that have like spoken to me about their issues, I always tell them like, that's awesome that you're telling me because that's just a sign that you know it's a thing you want to change. And rather than just keeping it inside and, you know, secretly going around and just like eating your face off and hoping that it's just going to fix itself probably not going to work but the fact that you're telling me right now means yes. that you're like ready to get this thing out of your system yes and that's such an important point uh you know as soon as they start talking about it and telling you and bringing you into that the clock is starting to tick you know what i mean it's like now now someone else knows and they have spoken about it and it can't be unspoken right so something has already fundamentally shifted in their relationship with this behavior yeah, definitely. Like, I even for myself, like, way, way back, I used to binge eat a lot. Like, I would eat super clean during the week, and, like, boom, Friday came. I was, like, my go-to. Like, wherever I wanted to go, I would go nuts for it. But then, like, the next day, I was like, oh, my God, I can't yeah. move. <laughs> yeah, well, you would be in very good company because I think, like, 99% of people in the fitness industry do something like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, like... What I remember what I was doing was like I would plan a workout the next day, like fairly early in the morning, enough to make me like it wasn't worth it last night. Maybe I should like <laughs> keep my like last meal a little bit earlier. So now I'm like eliminating that, say like I don't know, eight 
p.m. to 11 p.m. of just crap. So at least you, like, decrease it a little bit, and then eventually it phased out, but... Yeah, and actually, you're bringing up a really good point here because that is one great technique for changing behaviors is just starting to slot in other behaviors that compete with them, right? So, like, maybe as the coach, you don't even touch the Friday night party time, right? Like, you don't say anything about it. (laughs) You just ignore it. But what you do is you book the client in for an early morning session on Saturday morning, right? And so now you've introduced something that competes with the behavior, um, and, and starts to kind of, you know, grapple for dominance. This happens to a lot of people who, um, start running, uh, cause a lot of runners in particular, for some reason, especially like endurance athletes are often also people who have addictions. So like, I think the mentality that makes you a, a really good endurance athlete probably also makes you a really good, you know, uh, person to be hooked on stuff. And a lot of them, you know, take up running and then quit smoking or quit drinking because the running is starting to give them that feeling or starting to compete with uh, the drinking and the smoking. So um, that's a great way to play it if you possibly can. Yeah, like I remember talking to one client that uh, was trying to eliminate the amount of beers that he was having. And I was like, you know what you could easily do is just rather than having the beers in the fridge, leave them out. You probably won't want a warm beer. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. I'm like, yeah, it's like bulletproof. That is so great. Wow. Listeners take that one. That is, that is excellent. A plus plus. Yeah. And, and the the thing I love in what you're saying too, is you can kind of make, it's not really laziness, but you can kind of make your own laziness work for you. uh, And by, by adjusting your environment so that the things that you like, you know, quote unquote, your bad habits, the things that you want to do are so much harder to do, right? And your own laziness kicks in. You're like, oh, I don't really want a oh, warm beer. Oh, I have to get it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, if you have to walk to the store to get ice cream, you're like, oh, so far. It's dark, right? So yeah. just, you know, make it, make it harder to do the stuff that you would, you know, don't want to do and make it easy to do the stuff that you do want to do. Yeah, actually, what I do, like, I like having snacks around the house, but if I have them around... I'll like just devour them. So what I've been doing is like with any kind of dessert or anything that I can put in the freezer, I'll put it in there. And anytime I'm like, oh, you know what? I want that donut that I bought two weeks ago. Damn, I have to thaw it out. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, I like that. Uh, the next one I was going to ask you is like, how do you deal with like stress management and how do you kind of come across with clients to, to tell them like the benefits of if you manage your stress you'll feel that much better and things like that? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, sometimes people aren't even ready to manage their stress, actually. Like, it comes back to this readiness question and this sort of self-awareness and, and what's working for them. Honestly, some people love their stress. Like, as much as they bitch about it and, oh, I'm so stressed out, they kind of love it. And, and so using those two crazy questions can be really helpful because they start to realize, oh, like, I'm, I'm chasing stress, because it makes me feel important if I'm busy or um, it distracts me from something I don't want to confront in my life. A lot of male clients we see, especially um, work, work is like their drug, right? Work is their way to avoid a lot of their stuff in their life. Um, So I get curious about the value of stress for them in the first place. And I mean, some stress is kind of like random and unavoidable, right? Like let's say some random, horrible medical thing happens to a close family member and everything is just overturned in your life. Okay. That happens. But I think most of our stress is of the chronic grinding everyday bullshit (laughs) variety, right? Yeah. 
Um, and I think most of us have really never questioned the presence of stress in our life. It's just kind of there. And so I do find that once I start digging with clients about like what is good about the stress in your life, we discover that there's some reason that they're attached to it. And I don't say that in like a blaming way. It's, it's more like um, they've organized their life around the stress because it fulfills some kind of function for them. And letting that go would be really scary. Um, for a lot of people, it's a control thing, right? I have to get super anxious about a whole lot of stuff because if I don't, I will feel out of control of the world, right? Like I have yeah. to sort of mentally, it's like, you know, I have a weird fear of uh, flying, which I completely recognize as irrational. But like when I'm on a plane, I'm like mentally willing the plane to stay in the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> For the power of my psychic abilities. And, and I think a lot of people do this with, with their lives. They, they overthink, they ruminate, they, you know, try to keep their plane in the air through, with their minds. So again, I like to begin before I even tell them about how they should change. I begin by getting curious about what, what that stress is doing for them and, and what would suck about having me give that up. Cause for a lot of people, it's really scary to give up the stress. Um, and then I like to assign a mind body scan habit. And so this comes back to building the awareness of like, you know what, before you try to relax, just notice like what is even happening with you. And so, you know, a mind body scan is just super simple. It's like you just sort of take a minute or two and you sort of just scan down your body and you just notice like whatever is there. Like if your shoulders are tight, your ears are, I don't know, itchy or whatever, if it's cold. Um, and you notice what you're thinking and what you're sensing physically and what you're feeling emotionally, if you can notice that. And, and then you just jot down some notes and then over time you start to build this picture of what's going on for you. So I find that like a week or two of doing that with clients, um, I don't even need to really talk much about stress management because they'll come to me and they'll be like, whoa, I had no idea like how torqued up I was or how tense I was. And this is something I'd like to change. And then from there, once they're ready, we start to go with like some breathing stuff and, um, you know, something really, really simple that they can do anywhere, anytime. Breathing stuff is great, I find, you know, because you can do it like 10 seconds or 20 seconds. Yeah, like I remember uh, working with one client and like you said, like male, like kind of like top exec in his company and super stressed out. And I'm like, honestly, right before bed, like lay down face first and do some belly breathing and you'll probably fall asleep real fast and not like keep waking up every hour to check your phone if you got a new email or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it helps quite a bit because then you actually take time to, you know, get your brain to turn off because you're just focusing on pushing your tummy into the mattress to get your diaphragm going. Yeah, you've given them a competing thing, right? It goes back to the idea of giving them giving them some kind of activity that competes. Um, another great one is actually singing. If you have clients that like to sing, like having them sing in their car or whatever, the breathing for singing competes with anxiety breathing. So if you can just be belting out some of your, you know, your slow jams or whatever in the car on the way home, uh, it like something about like fifteen minutes of that will uh, will often really disrupt that sort of anxiety breathing pattern. That's awesome. <laughs> my fiance does that all the time like when she drives her car she'll have her windows down music blaring and always singing awesome <laughs> yeah. awesome she must be super relaxed <laughs> she is yeah because <laughs> yeah, we go to the gym together and we uh because i'm already at the gym in the morning so she'll drive and then 
when I'm driving home and she's behind me, I'll look in my rearview mirror and I'm like, oh, there she is singing again. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, bye, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Oh, man. Um, do you have any, like, tips or tricks to help clients to keep on track if they're forgetful or, you know, they're just, like, caught up in their work and they're like, oh, shit, I have to do this thing and I still haven't done it? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sort of like active reminders and there's passive reminders, right? So passive reminders are like um, things that you don't have to think about. So a good example of that is I leave my bike lock on my bike. It's, it's just there. Um, so now I don't have to go looking for it. I don't have to remember where I put it. I don't have to remember to bring it. It's just there. So there's lots of little things like that that you can sort of have people do, like keep your running shoes in your car, right? So now you haven't, now you haven't forgotten your workout stuff or like, you know, a spare change of clothes in your car. Um, and that's just some, some easy things. So now it's like the, the, the memory work of remembering workout clothes is off the table. And then I'm a huge fan of reminders. And these are things that clients can set for themselves. There's all kinds of reminder apps. I, you know, I use them all the time. And anything with timers and kind of calendars. Like my life is full of calendar reminders because I'm a little bit forgetful. So I outsource that, right? Computers are much better at remembering things than I am. So calendar reminders are a part of my life and I can send them to my email, my phone, whatever. Um, and then as the coach, you can also send reminders to people. I think text messaging is a very underrated, um, coaching tool and you can automate that as a coach, right? Like you could do it individually if you wanted, but there are programs that will send text messages for you at a certain time, certain day, whatever. So that's super handy. And, you know, often busy clients are very tied to their phones uh, and so it's like the natural medium for getting hold of people. Um, so, you know, you can have a series of things and just sort of figure out like, where is this person falling down? Do they have a lack of a routine? Like sometimes if you can get people into a very particular, like ritualized sequence of events, almost like a checklist, like I do this and then I do this and then I do this. Um, like before I leave the house, I'm like lip balm, keys, wallet, cell phone, done. There's like a four ch like item checklist Sometimes it's like a routine or a ritual for people, like a meal prep ritual or something like that, that the coach can help them develop and practice. And then it just becomes second nature and they don't have to think about it anymore. So like the less you can get people thinking, the better <laughs> in a funny kind of way. Yeah, like uh, one of my clients, he has the uh, Apple Watch and they has like a, some sort of setting on there where if he's sitting for a certain uh, amount of time, it'll actually start vibrating and it won't stop until you like physically get up and move around the office for a certain distance and then you're allowed to go back down to your desk yeah that kind of stuff is great like we live in an age now where really we can be reminded of anything right like in 2016 there's no reason to forget anything <laughs> yeah you can even hire like a virtual assistant to like i don't know, literally phone you or email if you're that bad right yeah <laughs> That would be awesome. I was I was actually looking into that, and I was like, man, this is tempting. They could do a lot of the stuff that I don't want to do. Totally. Um, that's why I was also going to say, like, with, like, those Fitbits, like, the fact that they give you that 10,000-step, like, marker, it just makes people, like, keep looking at their watch, like, okay, I need to do another 5,000 today, and it actually, like, tricks their brain to focus on something else to just get more active. Yeah, well, Pokemon Go is another great example of that, yes. right? Yes. Focus on getting your little Pokemons. 
I got. I tried that when, like, I think the second weekend it came out, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so addictive." And then the next day, my fiance's like, "Hey, you want to go on a hike?" And I'm like, "Yeah, let's go on a hike." She's like, "Bring your phone." <laughs> it, it was it was hilarious, but it's amazing. Like, it took him like 24 hours and got like the whole United States to start going outside. And then you start seeing stories of uh, that one kid who caught all the Pokemon and lost 25 pounds because the amount of like places he kept walking to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's such a great example too of, of making this into a game as well. Right. And I think for whatever reason, like some people got this weird idea that this all had to be like this terrible chore, right? This horrible chore that we just add one more chore to like the list of chores we already have it becomes this one one more crappy thing on our to-do list. And I, I really like to flip that for clients and see if we can make it into some kind of game, especially if they have kids, you know, like, okay, go to the grocery store and I don't know, find something orange, whatever. Like it just, it's, it's gotta be fun as much as possible. And it's gotta speak to what brings people joy, what keeps them entertained. And so it's really helpful to understand what gets people hooked on things like in a good way? What keeps them enjoying things like humans really like games. They like playing, they like stuff like that. So the more we can capture that spirit for people, uh, the better. Yeah. Uh, so I got one more question for you and it was sent in from one of my clients and they were wondering what kind of like dietary specs you should have if you are pre, during or post menopausal. Oh, that's a big question. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I, I think I would almost, before I even start with the food, I would start with the mindset. Okay. Because this, like, it's a time where you really need a huge amount of compassion and love for yourself because things are changing all the time. So I'm 42, almost 43. Um, and I actually accidentally put myself into uh, early menopause for a period of time with just like training too heavily and that kind of stuff. So I got to have like the, the preview of menopause. Like, so I'm going to have menopause 2.0 in like 10 years, which should be awesome. awesome. But, but you know, so I've already kind of gone through this, which is super fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like, so, so I feel like what I would have loved is someone to tell me, things will be different every day almost or every week or every month. And so there's going to be a lot of things that you can't control. Now you can engage in like the best possible choices or like, you know, taking good care of yourself, but there's going to be just weird stuff. Like you're just going to wake up one day and for that 24 hours, your digestion will be weird. And there's just no reason for it. It just is that way. Or, you know, you're retaining water or you're not, or you have energy or you don't. So things will just be kind of weird. And I say this because I think that if you don't know this, it can be quite perplexing. Like what happens during menopause is that obviously hormone production declines, but it's not like this clear linear process it's actually kind of uneven so you're and because hormones are pulsatile like which means they get released in these little sort of puffs and bursts and i, I call them like little hormone farts right <laughs> um, so it's a, you get this kind of weird random uh, asymmetrical hormone experience so um so you don't always know what's going to happen and so if you're going through this process you need to be open to this kind of ebb and flow and change and not, you know, just not having certainty about how things are going to go. Um, your energy needs will change. So, you know, you're going to have to sort of figure out how to accommodate reduced energy needs, which means that your, your body's just not burning as much energy 
as it used to. Um, so you'll probably start putting on some weight. Um, you'll probably start putting it on a little bit more around your midsection as the hormonal profile shifts. Um, so your energy needs will go down. So you have to figure out how to eat less. But one of the things that will help with that, which is quite important, is to keep that protein intake high. Um, it'll help control your appetite, but it will also help you keep that metabolic health that is so important for all this stage of life. Because as estrogen declines, your um, risk of cardiovascular disease goes up. So, um, you know, really keeping that metabolic health will go a long way. So, you know, keep the protein high, keep, um, you know, looking for those whole foods, those, you know, fresh foods, unprocessed foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, if you could eat them, whatever. Um, so in terms of the composition of what you're eating, you're probably not going to change it so much. Uh, you know, your protein needs will stay relatively significant. Uh, you know, you'll be eating all those whole fresh foods. Really what changes the most, I would say, would be the energy intake. So over time, you want to be sort of slowly lowering that energy intake to, you know, to meet whatever your body needs. And of course, hopefully, you know, you're exercising and weight training, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's really nothing special, if that makes sense, um, about this period other than, um, you know, I mean, some people find that increasing soy intake helps a little bit with hot flashes. That's, I think it varies a lot from woman to woman. We're definitely learning that there's a lot of individuality with how your hormones change, you know, what your genetic makeup is, if you have certain receptors or don't. So I'm kind of hesitant to say like, oh, everyone should eat soy because it helps hot flashes. That's not necessarily true. But what I would say is keep a diary, keep a journal of what you're noticing. Are you noticing hot flashes? Are you noticing losing sleep? Are you noticing weight gain? Where, where is it? How fast is it? Um, and see if you can link it to stuff because one thing that will often happen is you'll, you'll have these emerging food sensitivities. So maybe at age 30, you could go out drinking and it wouldn't matter, right? Yeah. At age 40, you have a glass of red wine and your body's like, hell no, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you may notice emerging food sensitivities or you may start to link um, things that you're eating to symptoms. So for me now, I really notice a link between alcohol, sugar, uh, and grains, and particular symptoms, which is really interesting. Um, sugar, especially, it seems to make symptoms flare. But, you know, so, so see if you can kind of track what you're experiencing and then see if you can make connections between what you're experiencing and choices that you're making. And obviously, ideally, you know, move towards choices that make you feel as good as you possibly can. So that's a bit of a long-winded answer. But it's a, it's a great question. And I guess, like, I feel like the take-home for me would always be, have so much compassion for yourself during this period because it's a cuckoo bananas period, honestly. Like sometimes you're going to think you're just going nuts. Um, but, you know, really try to hang in there. <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that, Lo, like having the mindset and kind of just listening to your body and kind of playing detective to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it's so, so individual. And, you know, I always hate like um, these instructions to women that are like, Oh, you should do this and you should do that. And like, I'm like, come on, man. Like we're all individuals. We all have different life trajectories and histories and makeup. And you know, what's awesome for me may not be awesome for someone else. So really like, honor your individuality. I think that's so important. Perfect. 
Uh, so that's all the questions I got for you. And uh, if you can kind of tell people where they can find you on the internet, if you're on any kind of social media or any kind of projects you're working on next. Well, uh, you can mostly, I mean, I'm very easy to find on Facebook. You can just, you know, search for me on Facebook. I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook. And I know it's kind of like supposedly an old person medium, but <laughs> <laughs> I've largely abandoned Twitter. I don't know. I just, I, I, and I was an early adopter of it, but I've never really figured it out. So, um, so Facebook is a great way to find me. You can also read tons of stuff for free at Precision Nutrition, precisionnutrition.com. Just go to our blog. There's like a bazillion things for free, lots of really good articles and stuff. Um, and then you can also find me at stumptuous.com. That's my website. So it's S-T-U-M-P-T-U-O-U-S, I think. Um, I'm really bad at spelling verbally. <laughs> Stumptuous. Um, so, I mean, you can, you can find me there. And again, there's tons of stuff there. It's all free. Um, you know, I've got a couple eBooks. One is free, one is not. So, um, pretty much, you know, look for me on the Googles and, and you will definitely find lots of free, I think good stuff. Perfect. Uh, so thank you for your time. And that was, that was freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. This is episode 10 and I have a real special guest. His name is Dan John. Say hello. Hello. Uh, to kind of just uh, start off, can you kind of like introduce yourself? Like, what do you do? How did you get into industry and kind of go from there? Well, I'm an instructor of religious studies for Columbia College, Missouri, and I'm a, a senior lecturer for St. Mary's University of Twickenham, London in strength and conditioning. And I spend my weekends doing workshops on strength. I've written, I guess, nine books now. I'm working on my 10th. Uh, I write for Teenage Nation and men's health. Um, I'm kind of a strength guy. Been doing it, lifting weights since 1965. Been coaching since '79, and uh, competed in just about every sport I possibly could, and had a light, great life. And here I am. It's quite the list. <laughs> um, kind of to start us off, I kind of want your opinion on kind of like your philosophy on fat loss and nutrition. Well. Well, the problem is, you know, if you read a book like The Obesity Code, you know, you're, it's going to be tough to, to lose fat. It's going to be really tough. You know, Art Devaney upset a lot of people years ago. A woman up asked him a question at a workshop. She said, uh, what's the secret to losing fat? And he said, don't get fat in the first place. <laughs> and it came off real bad, but the truth is, that's the truth. You know, um, that's, the, that's the problem with childhood obesity. Uh, or going away to college and drinking beer and eating pizza, and because uh, you don't, you you change your. Yeah, I mean, do you change your whole hormone profile? Maybe. Do you teach? Do you slow, you turn yourself into a bit of a diabetic? Probably. Do you you know? Do you mess with your blood profiles? No question about it. And then of course we have this answer: uh, move more, eat less, and it's a silly answer because that takes us right back to moral theology. That's gluttony and sloth or sloth you know oh it's your fault you're fat you eat too much and you're lazy well that's that's not necessarily what always happens so when we know i mean the research supports that you know 19 out of 20 you know 95 percent of fat loss is the nutritional side and only five percent is the exercise side 
But I think that's probably true. But the problem is, is that the exercise side is the thing that seems to do the most to make you happy again. Movement tends to bring some joy back in your life. You know, uh, Greg Cook always says, move more, move better, move better, move more. And so we're in a tough place right now. Um, I think most of your audience knows that probably if they increased the number of vegetables they ate and drank more water, it'd be a good idea. Yeah. And it's fine. But go on a plane and find a vegetable. Go into an airport and find, find – I mean, you can get salads, but they're those salads that are loaded with the orange slices and the, those little weird – I don't know. They're like dry noodles and stuff. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, okay, that's fine. Okay. You're going to drink more water. Well, all right. How much, you know, it's, so I think the answer is out there. It's just, we're, we've put ourselves into a situation where it's tough. I know that if we got ourselves into a, oh, a setting, um, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners grow their own food, but I mean, I have, I do a very small amount of it. I mean, I do, Tomatoes, grapes, uh, parsley, a whole variety of mints, lavenders, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And just to something as simply uh, as simple as stocking a meal with tomatoes out of your own garden just changes your vision of the meal. It, it changes your relationship to the food. Um, you know, I just read that whole thing. It's called, again, on the French paradox, you know, how the French do this and this and this. But then they also forget to mention that most of the people in Paris walk well in excess of two miles a day. Yeah. So the exercise side helps them. But uh, we are in a situation where, you know, uh, I first heard this from Greg Shepard about, oh, gosh, got to be sneaking up on, gosh, it's got to be 30 years ago now. Wow. Where he said that um, when we were growing up, and it's true, if you got yourself a bottle of this thing called Coca-Cola, it came in an extremely thick bottle that you're expected to return. You guys probably don't even remember this. Returning, and the bottles, I think, held nine ounces. That was what a Coke was, a nine-ounce serving. Well, I see people showing up at the malls with, in track meets and theaters, 64-ounce servings of drinks, 64 ounces of a drink. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> just, just the hip on your your pancreas with that much sugar going into it. I mean, we'll just start with the, you know, your insulin levels will go. And so I guess when you ask about fat loss, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where there's not an area of where your listeners are listening. I mean, there's religious impacts. I mean, God bless the people who believe in fasting because that's a huge boom to them. I mean, it's nice when the whole community is fasting. Of course, we now live in cities that are multi-religious, so you lose that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the schools are doing their best. That ki- the kids won't eat good food in America, and but when you go look at the plates of kids in Europe, you know, it's it's a beautiful meal for lunch. Oh, the Swedes! I was just in Sweden not long ago. Lunch and dinner in Sweden is probably 30, 40 different vegetables. Wow, a plate! It's unbelievable. And then a piece of fish. Well, yeah, you're not going to get. You're going to be fine eating that. Uh, knock down a few beers because it ain't going to matter. So, you know, it's it's the problem we have with, with fat loss is it's so multidimensional. Um, I, I mean, I'm from the Western tradition, mind, soul, body, and spirit. Um, if you focus just on the body, which might be fine, put yourself in diet prison and only get two meals a day of vegetables and whatever. 
uh, yeah, you would lose weight. And if they made you electrify the floors, you had to exercise an hour a day. Uh, um, yeah. But for the rest of us, it is a multifaceted issue. Uh, I'm sure some of your listeners would talk about the emotional things. You know, I have friends have a birthday. Oh, we have to have cake. <laughs> Why is cake part of birthdays? You know, what? Yes. what? Oh, it's Halloween. Candy. Oh, it's the first day of school. Candy. Did your homework. Candy. You know, you showed up on time. Muffin and candy. Yeah. So I, I think we're at a tough issue. Um, the biggest thing to remember is that most people know the answer. It's just making sure you have enough forces in your life to, to deal with them. Now, before you even ask, the forces are the best, our habits. And that's why, you know, when I was at Utah State, Coach Mullen told us, make yourself a slave to good habits. And, um, boy, I tell you, there's, <laughs> that's such a great insight. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. For any question, follow? Uh, I was just going to bring up, like, it's so much different out on, like, even, like, Canada and the United States. Because I was just watching um, a documentary called uh, Where to Invade Next with Michael Moore. And he actually went out to France to see what they're doing with their kids in schools for lunch. And he showed that every month they have a dietitian, a chef, and like a city council for the school that meets together every single month and plans out all their lunches for the month. And I was like, holy crap, that's completely backwards what how the states have it where you get like hot dogs and fries for lunch every day macaroni cheese hot dogs fries oh i've seen it it's all brown and yellow food man um yeah so i mean so we are we are looking at a big issue you know uh i'm not a conspiracy theorist at all but you know um you know big food has become an issue in the united states they they control a lot of stuff so you know if you grow up without good habits how are you going to suddenly form them you know, it's really tough. Uh, most people think they have great self-discipline, but the amount of self-discipline most of us have is very small. And if you're swimming against the stream with all your friends and your family and your traditions, if you have traditions that are surrounded by by bad habits, you know, every time someone does something, you serve, you know, sweets and it's going to be hard to not do that. You're going to look at those as comfort food, you know, for the rest of your life. It's just tough. Yeah. I like, I also look at it where depending on how you grew up and how your parents perceived food, you'll probably develop habits, what they're doing. So if they don't know what clean eating is, then you're probably going to follow their footsteps. And then you're in the same place they were when they were an adult. Well, and then if you sneak back 30 years in our industry, when the six meal a day thing showed up, that somehow your body is every anytime you hear your job, your body's a jet, a jet engine, your body is an engine, your body's a machine, and it constantly needs, you know, great. Well, it's funny because there's no time in history, in human history, that constant eating ever was considered an elite way to do things. Um, it's just never part of it. Now I'm not telling you intermittent fasting is hundred percent right or fasting is, is, is the answer to all questions. It's not a bad answer, but when the bodybuilders got into this six meal a day thing, of course the guys pushing it were also not on in articles and in their workshops, but we're also pushing the early forms of growth hormone, anabolics and everything else. Ooh, I forgot to mention that, you know, that, you know, if, you you can get rid of you can you can do a lot of sins if you have enough drugs in your body it'll clean up oh, yeah. issues 
and they forgot, they just, oops, forgot to mention that small little side issue. So we've been hurt in the fitness side, uh, the fitness physique side of things from these kind of myths that showed up. Uh, of course, drugs were so bad for it, but oh, that's a whole other story. So you asked a very innocent question, but I want people to know that it is much more uh, complicated than you think. Now, every person listening knows that they should roll out of bed in the morning, be grateful, get outside, uh, work out, have your eliminations, drink a lot of coffee, um, get your work done. Uh, and when you eat that first meal, it should be you know green and red and lush and protein and perfect. And then, you know, we all know that. And then, of course, trying to transform that knowledge into your life is, is radically different. I always wanted to be a coach on Biggest Loser Hate. By the way, I find it the most offensive term at all time. But to get everybody up on like a northwest coast, uh, like an Oregon, a northern California, and have them all in a beach house where the meals would just be, to get to them, you had to walk a mile to every meal in the sand in those cold, in those cold wet, uh, moist areas. And I just, I'd be kind to everybody, be nice as you can be. And, but that was it. To get breakfast, you have to walk, walk a mile, eat, walk a mile, walk a mile, walk a mile. I just thought that'd be genius. It wouldn't make for good television because I wouldn't be screaming at anybody. But yeah. uh, if we, you know, if we could do something like that, it'd be fabulous. You know, um, when you, when even when you watch those terrible shows, one of the things that you come across with, and, and like you learn as a strength coach, you learn this is the emotional hit of food for those people. And it's interesting on my side, the emotional hit of tension and relaxation. Um, uh, real quick. Uh, quick story. My daughter Kelly, the first time she ever deadlifted 275, picked the weight up. When she let go of it, she started sobbing. And I walked over and said, you know, what's the matter? You know, there's no crying in my weight room, you know. And she said, nothing's the matter with me. And it, it took me a year or two um, to unpack this whole story because when you go to a 9 or 10 on tension and then release your hands and go to 1, you have an emotional hit. So that's why many women, when they're learning how to lift, get some interesting emotional, uh, because it's the, many women, single moms especially, live at a tension level of five or six on a dial of 10 all the time. Well, if you go from 10 to one, you're going to have an emotional response and maybe sob. Or maybe it'll be the best thing you can for your raising your kids is that two hour that two workout it's a week you deadlift pull up and press where you get it all out of you you know what I'm saying yeah and makes you a much better person that's true for me it makes me a better person after I train so I'm I'm wondering if the emotional hit is just something we've you know we just need to get do better on you know if come if you had a rough childhood and food was your comfort item. Your response, even though you probably could talk to me intelligently and say, you know, I always put food together with happiness. Therefore, you can say that in sentence, but your emotions, like that great little movie with the emotions, uh, uh, I can't remember the show. Uh, I saw it on a plane, but it's a Disney film or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that, actually. I can't remember the name either. Yeah, where the emotions all have their own little character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a food emotion up in the brain screaming, I want to be loved, you know? Yeah. So you asked a real simple question, and the, the correct answer is eat your vegetables, take your fish oil, drink water, eat protein, and then go for a walk five days a week, lift weights twice, 
and then do something that kind of, you know, makes you hot and, you know, like sprint up a hill once a week. There's your answer. Yeah. Now, there's your answer. And that is the answer. Now, good luck implementing that. You know, it's like, I want to get a doctorate in uh, philosophy. Oh, that's easy. (laughs) What do you need to, where are you? I just graduated from high school. Not a problem. You're about to embark on them. You're probably end up writing 10,000 pages. Uh, wait, what? You know. So, yeah, the, the answer is easy, but the, the journey is a little difficult. Yeah, Yeah, like uh, I was talking to Kriska, Krista Scott Dixon, and I kind of asked her when, you know, PN coaches train their uh, clients online, like at what point did they see like kind of like a breakthrough or like, you know, they get that light on like, oh, okay, now I know what to do. And she actually said, like, around that eight-month mark is when people start cluing in, like, oh, this is how you do it. This is how I see success. And I think a lot of people kind of, like, think that if they do a 30-day challenge, they're going to be done and ripped and 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in sports, we, we, in high school football, we call it the senior summer. You know, you have a boy as a freshman, and they play, and they're, you know, and they're fine. Sophomore, they play and they're fine. Junior, they, you know, they play and they're fine. And then one day, you're walking down the hall, they're senior year, and they'll say, "Hey, you know," and all of a sudden, they'll have a vision of the game in not what they do, but in the vision of what the eleven do together versus the other eleven. But it takes three years for them to have that mental breakthrough that they're not just—they are not just doing this. But by doing this, it's part of this orchestra of other people movement moving. And if we all do what we're supposed to do, great things happen. Well, okay, you got to do a program. You got to have constant contact with someone for eight months before they get that boom. Now I get it. I I, I love Kristen. I, I I think she's she's I always have a great respect for her. My God, I've been following her long. So 99, 2000, 2001, maybe. Oh, wow. Um, it'd have to be, yeah. Um, she was one of the first voices on the internet. Um, and, and, and it's funny she says that because, you know, for us to turn an athlete, you know, everybody wants a t shirt that says elite, but it takes so long to get there because it's like, <laughs> it's like these things all have to kind of. I mean, I'm, trying, I'm doing a movie example. Everything just has to kind of come together. And all of a sudden, there's this snap of insight. And they go, I got it. And you'll look at them and go, what? And they'll say, I got to eat vegetables, take my fish oil, eat protein, and drink water. Right. It's always on day one. No, no, I know you told me that, but now I understand it. You know, it's, you know, you, that's, that's, that's the gap. That's the leap. That's the chasm is, when they hear it versus when they kind of pour it into their bones and understand it. And that's the chasm. Yeah. I think a lot of people like just expect like the results to come so quickly, but they don't really fully understand the amount of time and effort you'd have to put in to see what they're expecting. And then that's why I think a lot of people fail at this whole weight loss thing. They just want it as quick as possible. And then, they fail at it, and they're like, oh, there's no point because I've tried everything. <laughs> right. Well, see, I, you know, it's funny because I see the way people do this in kind of almost a check mark. okay? Kind of like uh, Nassim Taleb does that so often with 
finance and some other things. I do think Tony Robbins is, you know, uh, the guy who wears black and uh, the motivational speaker. Mm-hmm. He is right about a lot of people. Uh, you might be able to sit down with somebody and uh, pour enough gasoline on their pain that they do in one, I'm going to slap my hands, one moment, have a change. But I think the bulk of us are what he would call, uh, Tal would call uh, flat tails. It takes a few steps, a few steps, a tiny baby steps. The work of BJ, BJ Fogg, F-O-G-G from Stanford, who believes that the only way you can really in, have change is by the most tiny of steps at first. And then they gather momentum. And, uh, I did his week-long thing, and one of my things was, before I took a shower to do two push-ups. There's nothing to that. Well, what was interesting about it is I become a much better shower taker because at least I did it consciously for the first time since I was three, you know? And uh, before every alcoholic beverage, drink a full glass of water. Well, that's a very small thing, very easy to do, yet it makes you consciously aware that you're about to have another glass of alcohol. Um, so to me, those are the, those are the only two ways to get there. The, the tiniest, tiniest set of habits. In fact, his website's called tinyhabits.com. Uh, the tiniest, tiniest habits possible looking down the line for improvement or some kind of moment, um, for many people, and this is terrible. And I'm sorry to even say this, but, uh, uh, when the spouse comes home and says, I'm leaving, you know, I've found someone else. That seems to be the moment where they begin to deal with their body uh, shape needs. So that much pain is the lever to drive them towards. uh, uh, I know in in, in coaching, uh, I'd much rather coach a team that lost on the last play of the last game of last season than a team that uh, won the championship in the last play. Um, Pain is a much easier motivator. I mean, everything I've done in my life came from pain. They proved that to us at the Olympic Training Center. It was fascinating to watch it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's either got to be the big pain lever or tiny habits. Um, I hope I gave you some resources to help you on that. But to to do change, most people want to be medium. And medium just doesn't work very well in any aspect of life. No, not really. And, like, that pain thing I can totally relate to because – in high school, I was completely overweight. So, you know, kids making fun of you, girls never paying attention to you. That was my driver because I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this. Let's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And I like completely flipped my life around. And I think within two months, I like dropped 60 pounds out of nowhere. And I was a completely different person. It was crazy. Right, right. And uh, I have a friend who <clears throat> had the exact same story you have. Um, it'd be interesting if he would have been, you know, more <laughs> more normal if he'd be where he was right now. You know, now he's extremely successful, doing very well, very well, because he was the fat kid in high school. You know? Yeah. It's, isn't that fascinating, you know? But I love hearing those stories because it's like, you know, there's nothing else going into your brain other than, I need to lose weight. What do I need to do to get there? And it just happens. Like it was strange for me. Cause like 
I understand that weight loss is tough for people, but for me, for some reason, because I made it such a priority in my life, I almost felt like it was easy because I was like, oh, if I work hard, it's going to change. If I continue to work hard, I'm going to see continue like process of fat loss. And I just got like addicted to it almost. And I just trickled on from there. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the next thing I was going to ask you, what's your opinion about like macro counting? Cause that's kind of like getting more popular nowadays. And even clients of mine are asking, Oh, like, what do you, what do you think of macros? Should I like start paying attention to them? Should I count all the calories that I'm eating and that whole thing? Uh, I think it's great if you're an elite, uh, body comp person, but I don't uh, I'm not sure it really helps a lot of others. Yeah, like that's why I always go back to like the small habits, like you yeah. said earlier, because it's attainable. Yeah. Oh, well, and I guess, you know, I mean, I've been out to dinner with people take pictures of their food and stuff. Yeah. And it's great. And the nice thing is, is what, in, in their defense, at least there's a knowledge of what you are. What do they say? If you take one, um, I heard that one of the best things you can do is store your food in aluminum foil so you always have to take the extra moment to look at it okay so you have to open it up and look to see what it is mm-hmm. that ex- instead of just reaching and grabbing a bag of chips uh, that extra thinking seems to help and, the, and, and, if, and if, if you're doing it for that to give you that extra step of thinking but I gotta tell you if you got two kids screaming in the back of the car for a one hour commute and you come home and the dog pooped on the rug. And, uh, <laughs> good luck counting your macros that night for dinner. Yeah. So I guess, you know, and it depends. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in the industry when they're about 21 or so will write their book on how to get six-pack abs. And I applaud them. In fact, sometimes I think there's great value to them. But, you know, I've been around long enough to be around five years later when the reality check comes in. And they're not talking about six-pack abs anymore. We're talking about, you know, much uh, much more realistic things for the 26 to 36-year-old human, you know. Um, no, so, you know, I agree with it. But here's the thing. The keto diet's become the thing again. I mean, everything I turn to, people are asking about keto, keto this, keto that. Uh, you know, the best progress I've ever made was on Atkins, and Atkins and keto pretty much walk hand in hand. Uh, and you know two years from now it'll be something else there's always you know when you're doing ketogenic dieting you know your macros are there's that one thing in the Atkins book it's called the fat flush maybe fast fast where you eat like 2,000 calories a day of fat you know and it supposedly breaks any plateaus you have well yeah I hope so man because if it doesn't what is man you know, it's like, well, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, holy cow, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, you, and it's all, and I remember that he, there was a concoction that was made of, uh, oh my God, it was butter, coconut oil, and some kind of uh, non, non-caloric sweetener that had no insulin thing. Oh man! Let's <laughs> just shovel that down, you know. And it's like, I, hey, 
And if it does, if that, I mean, you know, if eating a can of lard, you know, gets you thin, I'm all in, you know. I got nothing again. By the way, please, nothing negative come to my mouth. If it works, it works, and we have to applaud it and nourish it. But, uh, boy, I tell you one thing, that's a hard um, – it is interesting, though, you go back in the history, 100 years, 70 years ago with diet, and what they're saying then is much more logical than what we're hearing now. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. I was just going to say, it's kind of funny how people that are so desperate for fat loss, they'll put themselves through such hell of a diet that they, you know, read online that somebody dropped 20 pounds in, in two weeks, but right. looking at, you know, making sure they have vegetables at every time they eat is like the hardest thing to do. Right. And that's why I think community is so important. Um, I mean, love or hate Weight Watchers, that weekly meeting where someone is walking the walk with you is very important. I think this new idea of, you know, uh, we, at our gym we call it intentional communities, uh, where you literally get together and work out. You 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 make a vow that you have to show up because people are counting on you. And I, I'm a real fan of that. I mean, if you were put into a uh, TV show where, you know, we all support each other, actually truly support each other on our uh, fat loss goals. I think good things would happen. And not the way they do it on the, that Biggest Loser with that weird, you know, sadistic style, which I, I'm not a fan of. But, you know, in a, in a true caring community, uh, interesting things would happen. Uh, I know this, if you moved into a monastery and you had to fast every day, um, you'd probably lean up nicely in a few months. You had to work and fast every day, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think for like fat loss, depending on how old you are? Because obviously, like if you're in your early twenties, you could go to McDonald's for lunch and then hit the weight room after, and it won't even like leave a dent. But say somebody in their like forties and fifties, like what should they be focusing on for long term weight loss? Well. By the time you get to your 40s and 50s, you know, you probably have already set up a hormonal cascade in your body uh, that's going to be rough to overcome. But let's talk about how you do, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, You do make make a funny point because if you go and look in the back seats of NFL football players, you'll always see bags of fast food. Always. And it's true. You can. You can can eat. When I was at Utah State... My assistant coach, because I couldn't keep my weight up because I was Olympic lifting and throwing so much, he told me to drink beer uh, to get my body weight up. I was like, really? All right. <laughs> so, you know, 20 years later, you walk past the bag when you put on weight. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think you get to a certain age and you have to start looking at more of the classics in our world. I think after about carbs, they're not evil, but after a certain age, you just don't have the relationship you used to have with them, and you have to you have to control your carbohydrates somehow. Um, you could do it by, I mean, you just you just can't get away with eating six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches anymore. You just can't do it. You can't you can't eat certain foods. You have to get a better relationship with carbs, and the way I think you do that is by this is going to be pretty radical, just go with me, but either by eating two meals a day or by uh, instilling some layer of intermittent fasting in your life. 
you, I think you have to control hunger. So when you, if you to, you've got to practice controlling hunger and learning that hunger is just a thing. There's nothing wrong with it. And then, and then while hungry, make better nutritional choices. And you, you are an adult. You should be able to do that at, at those ages. But I got to tell you, it's tough to do. You, know, you come home from a long day, and uh, I call them cardboard carbohydrates, anything that's in a box or a bag. It's uh, real easy to open those things up and, and start pushing them down. Um, so really, after, I'd say after 25, your relationship with carbohydrates has to change. You don't need as much. Um, I think you need to eat more. If you're going to eat carbs, it's got to be in the happy vegetable world of carbs. Um, you need to be able, you have to have the courage to eat, you know, quality proteins and uh, get used to seeing meals with a lot of colors on them. Uh, in my book, Mass Made Simple, I just summarize it as eat like an adult, you know. Yeah, I think also in that book you said to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches too, right? <laughs> to build mass. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to get huge, now here's the funny thing. Uh, so you just did an interesting thing. Uh, I believe like Oscar Wilde, one of the signs of an intelligent brain is to be able to hold opposing thoughts in the head. So yeah, I'm a big fan of peanut. In fact, I tell my athletes, football throwers are trying to get big, you should always have a backpack with a loaf of bread peanut butter and jelly inside of it and uh, something to spread it. Uh, it's a great way to meet girls uh, because when you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it, it attracts females, <laughs> which is funny I say that, but everybody who does actually do that comes back and goes, you know, it's weird. It's true. Uh, it actually happens. But uh, yeah, if you want to put on a lot of mass quickly, you know, you <laughs> so do the opposite, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to live a good life, you know, go to death row to a typical prison and ask the people, what, what decision process did you use to kill these five people? Uh-huh. 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 And then do the exact opposite, you know, you know, um, and if you want to, you know, do certain things in life, find people that you find, you know, to live quality, quality lives, ask them what they did and, and then do it exactly. Um, that's actually been something I've done my whole life. I just, <laughs> I found good mentors and, uh, <laughs> just do it. Hey, I was told to put 10% of my money when I first started, I earned $9,000 a year and put away 1100. Um, in six months I get all that money. I get to pull out all that money, you know, cause I put it into an IRA. It just cracks me up to say that because when I started doing this at age 21, 59 and a half seemed like a million years ago. But good people I trusted told me to do that, and they were absolutely right. Uh, you should do, okay, in the weight room, you should do the fundamental human movements and keep your reps and sets appropriate and your load appropriate. You want mobility? Do bear crawls and, you know, do hip flexor stretches. You want to do fat loss? Eat your vegetables, you know. Drink water and, you know, uh, go for a walk now and again. You know, that one thing I said is shocking. You know, if you want a good education, show up and do your work. But show up and do your work, both of them, you know. Yeah, that's what I always tell clients when they, you know, don't have the motivation to show up to the gym or, you know, they rather go outside because it's sunny and hot and sit on a beach. I'm like, honestly, just show up. Even if you have no energy, you just do cut down the volume by 50% and you'll feel like a million bucks after. And now 
your brain's going to remember that feeling that next time when you think, oh, should I go to the gym? You're going to want to go to the gym. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I wish there were more secrets. I really do. <laughs> um, we, we always have this joke at our discus camp. Come learn the secrets of discus throwing. Now, the secret is stretch, one, two, three, 10,000 times a year. I mean, it's, there's no, the joke is there is no secret, you know. Uh, there's very few. There's very few real secrets to life. And I make this joke a lot. I beat it to death lately, but go with me on it. I call, I call it the three F's in life: fitness, finance, and relationships. And there's a lot of people out there. Do you get the joke? FFR. Yeah, the three F's of life: fitness, finance, and relationships. <laughs> Well, if you don't, email me at one. <laughs> but when it comes to affairs of the heart, you know, you can, I was at a bar recently and this guy was on Tinder and he was doing that little thing they do with Tinder with his fingertips. Yeah, yeah. He probably popped a Viagra and went to a bar. And got a <laughs> well, six months from now, he's going to sit down with me and he goes, well, you know, how do you have such good long, how do you have such good relationships? And I was like, because well, I didn't find the fast path. You know, if you want to make a lot of money, invest in yourself. You know, academically, invest in your spouse a lot. Pick a uh, buy quality goods, buy quality services. Um, put money aside for emergencies. Put money aside for some future fortune, and live live you know off less than you earn. Um, everybody knows that, right? Yeah. And in the weight room, you get strong by the fundamental human movements. You, if you want to be a better runner, you run. You want to be a better swimmer, you swim. There are no secrets. There, and it's true in every important aspect of life. And the victory goes to those who learn learn those secrets sooner. Well, secrets. The, learn that the basics triumph sooner. That's all. Yeah. Um, the next thing I was going to ask you is like motivation. Because I find during the summer especially, people tend to uh, skip out on the things that they should be doing. And kind of playing hooky. Like, how do you keep your motivation going out throughout the whole year? Well, Dan Millman wrote a good book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And Millman's mentor, Socrates, has an interesting point about motivation. I don't believe in motivation. Just straight up. Just so you know that, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't believe in it, okay? Um, And uh, what Socrates does is he attacks uh, Dan Millman. He attacks him, just goes after him, starts, you know, wailing on him. And he goes, you know, do you need motivation? And if, I mean, what's your motivation? You know, uh, you know your, your child falls into a, a pool, doesn't know how to swim. Uh, do you need to be motivated to go save that child? Uh, I look at, see, I look at athletics and things that way. It's like, uh, for me, uh, the motive. I'm much more motivated by losing than I am by winning. Uh, I know that sounds awful, but I, that's me. So for me, motivation is a tough one. Uh, I'm much bigger believer in establishing lifelong habits that pay huge dividends in performance. Now, having said performance, I got to break down three more words for you. So health is the optimal interplay of the human organs. Okay. Your heart is hearting, your liver is livering, and all that. Longevity is the quality and quantity of your life. And DNA is a big one there. Habits are huge there. 
and luck is a factor there too. Then there's a thing called fitness, and this is the problem in our industry. Fitness is ability to do a task, and that's all it is. Most people like to swim fitness into health and then swim fitness over into performance. Performance is when they put the spotlight on you, call your name, what do you do? So the one problem we'll have in this whole talk, and is your name pronounced Ray, Raphael or Raphael? Close, Raphael. Raphael. Yeah. Raphael is that um, I come from a performance sports background. So for me, I look at two things. I look at performance for my personal self, and I look at longevity because I want to I want to dance at my granddaughter's uh, wedding, okay? Yeah. So uh, when we talk about these things, I make a lot of decisions through the matrix of will this help, will this get me to that wedding or not get me to the wedding? So for me, I'm, I'm not a big fan of like – that extrinsic kind of motivation, win one for the Gipper kind of stuff, you know. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, woohoo, let's do this, you know. Uh, every workshop I have, I make a little joke, and, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, it's the montage scene from movies, you know. Yeah. Which, yeah. As, a, as a coach, for as long as I've been, I hate that montage. I hate it. You know, they all the kids they were fighting before they got to the all there was racially divided team, they all hate each other and the rich kids hate the poor kids, you know. But we start doing wind sprints together and one guy says USA and then all of a sudden, you know, white guy high fives the black guy and we've cured uh, you know, racism in America forever and we go win the football game. I, I hate that kind of thing. I, I loathe it. Because what really what really gets you to the to the well, at least in the the fight for the championship is showing up every day and taking care of the small things, you know. And so that's the importance of long term habits. And you know, it's it's like it's like saving money. You know, you have to have an emergency fund, but you also have to have a fund for this far off day that you'll be your dreams will come true. And so for me, motivation is is more about. Let's take, you know, it's the day-to-day showing up that's, that trumps it for me. Now, you might bring in others, you know, uh, people who disagree with that, and I'm fine. But for me, that's how I focus on it, okay? Okay. okay. Like, it almost sounds like if you had a goal of, you know, being able to uh, chase after your grandchildren and not, you know, be gassed, then I guess that's kind of enough motivation for you to show up to the gym knowing that every time you show up right. you know you're getting to your goal one day at a time it's interesting you say that because tony robbins uses that as a lever to prod people who still aren't motivated they don't want to change he uses something like that he takes that if you continue smoking and you know you weigh 400 pounds and you're smoking if you continue that you're going to miss your child's wedding, your son's wedding, your daughter's wedding. Uh, you're going to miss the graduations. And you use that wedge to pry people around the corner of showing up. Uh, again, you know, it's it, not everything works all the time. But those are the, you know, for me, I personally, we just, uh, I like practices. Like today, our workout today was just, I would say, absolutely dull. We just moved from thing to thing to thing, and we got the work done, and then we had brunch. It was nice, and, but it was 
There was no high fives. There was no background bum, 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 bum. There was no background music. Nothing was cured. It was we just took care of business and everyone will show up tomorrow and we'll do it again. And the odd thing is, over time, those are the things that work best. Yeah, just yeah, plain old, old hard work. Uh, consistent hard work. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And ideally, you're improving. And and the problem, see, I like I like those little improvements that you don't necessarily see. Kind of like say, kind of like the same way you save money, you know, it, little and often over over the long haul. I'm a fan of that in every aspect of my life. A little here, a little there, a little here, and pretty soon it's, it's a massive, the snowball effect. Okay, um, but that that's me. So that's that's where my mind's at. Okay. okay. Uh, so the next thing I was going to ask you, let's kind of shift into like the exercise realm now. Um, how strong is strong enough for someone that's like a regular Joe that's just going to the gym to get healthy? Like, what's yeah. your opinion on that? Yeah, my book Intervention, I go through this pretty clear. It's a little harder on the female side, but let's start with that. According to my friend Josh Hills, he's an expert in female fat loss, um, he says that. If a woman can do three dips, three pull-ups or chin-ups, and either deadlift or squat 135 for five, universally, they have their body comp goals. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and yeah. interesting is that uh, I just recently helped a woman, an older woman, uh, prepare for a bikini, nude, and lingerie shoot, and she's in her late 40s. Well, she got up to two sets of five pull-ups. And all of her body comp dreams came true. Because the bigger that engine is, the better you look. On the men's side, uh, I usually say you should be probably able to bench your body weight. It'd be nice if you could do, you know, probably five pull-ups. It'd be nice if you could squat your body weight and not look like a complete fool doing it. <laughs> uh, I like the double body weight deadlift still, but I don't mind if it's out, you know, if you're built funny, you know. You're built like a normal person, uh, doing it from the knees on up in the rack. And then I like to see people uh, uh, carry their body weight, farmer walk their body weight. How far doesn't really matter, but they should be able to put either the weight on a trap bar or the weight in dumbbells or kettlebells and walk away. I, I'm a big believer in that as a standard. If you're at those, those levels and you want to grease it up a little bit, that's great. But for most men, you're, you're okay there. You're okay. Uh, but once you get, say, over 15 reps in the body weight, over 15 squats with your body weight, um, 15 pull-ups, over 15 pull-ups, um, it's the weight room ain't your problem if you're not getting your goals. Yeah, You're, like, you're strong enough. Yeah, like those are uh, pretty good. It's just, again, if you're showing up, you'll eventually get there. But yeah. It'll take a little while. <laughs> well, I mean, it's misquoted, but um, I, I wrote an article years ago about doing 15 reps in the overhead squat with body weight. And people said, my God, I can't do that. Right, I know you can't. Well, I can't even overhead squat body weight. Yeah, I know. Okay, fine. Well, should I do this? No, you don't do it. It's, it's just a thing. A, a, a thing a coach in California used as a standard. Oh, well, should I do it? No. But well, what would be the process of doing it? Well, Learn how to overhead squat first and then put weight on the bar and add some reps. And over time, 
If you really think it's important, you'll get it. Well, that's not much of a program. Well, yeah, it's the best program to come up with because it's the most true program there is. You know, how do you increase your pull-up? You do pull-ups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the best is when uh, I get, like, the male clients that, say, read an article that, hey, did you know that Ryan Reynolds did this in his workout? We should be doing that. <laughs> well, God bless him for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Hollywood thing is always tough, you know. Uh, I've had the opportunity. Some of my friends uh, coach very famous people in Hollywood and uh, the fashion scene. And one of the things they will tell you is that the average Hollywood person trains harder than most people ever have the concept of training hard. Now, having said that, if you're going to be up on the screen that's, I don't know, 40 feet tall and 60 feet across, you probably want to, you know, you probably want to look good when you do it, you know, uh, I think. So, but they, they train very hard. And, uh, but one thing they also have is money. Um, if, if you have money, I would hire a cook and a full-time assistant to keep you from putting junk in your mouth. I would never, I would just have a cook, cook all my meals and have someone whose job it is to keep me from putting things inside my mouth that weren't on the nutritional, the nutritionist thing. And if you have enough money, you hire someone to get you out of bed in the morning and make sure you work out. That'd be That'd awesome be- just to have somebody like this swatting bad food out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, they said that about Roseanne Barr got, was it Roseanne Barr got leaned up for a, a thing and her ex, one of her ex people who worked for her uh, said something along the lines is they must have had two people working full time keeping her from shoving stuff in her mouth. <laughs> uh, and I didn't think that was very nice, but that seemed pretty true. Um, so last question for you, what has like, what's the stupidest thing as a fitness trend that you've seen lately that you can't stand? Such a huge, huge number. (laughs) Well, we, we got time, right? (laughs) Well, there's always, it's, it's, it's nonstop. I mean, it's the, you know, these 90 day DVDs that come out, these, secret formula you know the you know these just the junk and the nonsense and the noise um i you know it seems that you know crossfits that you know starting to disappear finally um you know i mean i was talking to somebody the other day and they're like oh crossfit will be around forever i say you know 1980 i came to a city to uh, compete in olympic lifting with me and i asked the, the person is there a gym nearby and they showed me a list. It was probably 12 novels gyms. There were no other places open in the area. Every gym was a novelist gym. And you, most of your audience won't even know what novels machines are. Um, ten, you know, you go ahead just five or six years later, later, I want to go to a gym and it'd be a Jane Fonda step aerobics place. And you, you bounce ahead a few years later, it'd be hardcore bodybuilding. Those places all disappeared. Well, actually, they turned them in. They morphed them into, I mean, whatever you would want to call it. I think they're called Vasa. Gold's Gym is now called Vasa now. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, these places have all turned into these cardio centers, you know. And I got nothing against it, but, um, you know, you do what you got to do. Um, fitness trends that bother me the most. Oh, it's been around a long time, but anytime someone tries to be 
tactical or badass or like everyone starts showing up in camo gear or dark black stuff because they're ninjas. I hate that. I hate that. I come from a very military family. So pseudo military, pseudo combat. Just I'm sitting right here next to a little thing. I've got all these things from the military, the guys I work with. I got three brothers who served in Nam. My dad served in World War II, lost a cousin in Korea, lost family members. And um, my cousin was one of the only survivors on the USS Arizona. My family's bled deep and hard for this country. And it bugs the shit out of me when people act like little warriors in the gym. I loathe it. I hate it. I just can't stand it. It's like when you're around high school kids and they try to act like they're in the NFL. You're not. Quit your prancing and get get back to work. Earn earn the right to act like a jackass at that. Sorry for swearing at the NFL. That's fine. (laughs) I think the other one that's popping up a lot now is uh, like the YouTube personal trainers that you know have their secret to fat loss and. I think there's another guy actually just now that's been popping up that he's like I think in his 40s or 50s and he's always without a shirt on with like women around him. Well, that's always going to be a thing, my friend. Always. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's that's just the nature of what we do. But, you know, I've always defined, uh, you know, fitness as the ability to do a task. And I'm, I have this wonderful ability, my fitness. One of my uh, interns just got, uh, got into this very elite master's degree program, strength and conditioning. And I was a, I'm able to help her financially. So I'm fit to help in a lot of different ways besides just where your hand should be in the curl. Yeah, so, you know, I'm fit to help you move your couch. I'm fit to, you know, (laughs) change a tire like I had to do the other day. So sometimes, you know, you have to be real careful uh, about the, the, the guys my age without their shirts on who, you know, live in a, Living a van down by the river eating government cheese. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a tough one for me. Uh, uh, so last one. Um, what is kind of like your next project that you're doing or any kind of speaking engagements and where can people find you on the interweb? Oh, sure. Well, my next talk is down in Costa Rica. It's four days. Uh, then I'll go off to uh, New York with Mental Meatheads. And then I'm going to uh, I'll spend the entire month of uh, October in Ireland. I do a couple of kettlebell certs in November and December. Um, I'll be in Denmark this year. Uh, I'll be in uh, Germany, Ireland, England, a couple, a couple times in England because I work there and I also do workshops there. Um, but, yeah, danjohn.net uh, is the best place to find. I don't always put my, my schedule up because it's, you know, if you live in Omaha and I'm doing a workshop in Denmark, it doesn't really doesn't, matter. Doesn't, yeah. So, and I, and I also think it's the job of the local the local person to get the because I just you know I can go on social media and say I'm doing this, but it doesn't the, the dots don't always connect if you follow my point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a busy. I'll be in uh, this year. I've been I've gone to Europe twice a month almost the whole year. Um, my, my wife calls me David Hasselhoff because I'm huge in Germany, <laughs> which just kind of makes us laugh. But uh, it's delightful. Uh, so far this year, I've flown, and this is August, uh, 175,000 miles on Delta. Wow. Which might not mean much to you guys, but that's seven times around the world. Jeez. Yeah. So that's, 
the issue this year is not getting broken apart from all the travel. Yeah. Uh, the other project I'm working on my next book, it's called Now What? And it's what you do after your programs, what you do after you assess. It's the, the mental aspects of everything that we do. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to, my, my, I have a little vision in my books. Uh, there was a book on how to choose movements. Uh, there was a book on how to assess. This book is now what? Okay, you've assessed, now what? You know. Yeah. And uh, one of my goals down the line is to have one, take all the best parts of all those books and, you know, slam them into one, you know. Uh, welcome, guys, back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. Uh, we got another guest today. His name is Jordan Syatt. Hopefully I said that right. Say hello. Perfectly. <laughs> Uh, so let's start and get right into it and uh, kind of start with who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Yeah, man. Well, so first of all, thank you for having me. I seriously appreciate it. Um, so my name is Jordan Syed. I am. I got into this industry. Actually, I was a power lifter. I mean, I'm sorry. I was a wrestler growing up. I wrestled my whole life. And because of wrestling, I really got into strength training and nutrition. I just had to cut an obscene amount of weight in high school. Um, and that sort of got me involved in the nutrition aspect of things. Um, and then after that, I really got into powerlifting. So when I, I took a year off between high school and college, I lived in Israel for a year and just volunteered. Um, and then I really got into powerlifting. And when I was in college, I founded the powerlifting team at my school. Um, and then I started out, I was really fortunate. I just started to do very well in powerlifting. And I, I ended up having the opportunity to train at Westside Barbell under Louis Simmons for about four months. Um, and then from there, I trained under Eric Cressy at Cressy Sports Performance and Tony Gentlecore. And sort of things just started to really steamroll. And I had already started writing for various websites like T Nation and Schwarzenegger.com and Things really just started to steamroll at that point, and my own online business, fortunately, was doing very well with strength training and nutrition. That's the majority of what I do now is work with people online on their strength training, their nutrition, their mindset and lifestyle stuff. And then more recently, I, I just came on as Gary Vaynerchuk's personal strength coach and nutrition coach. So um, pretty much <clears throat> I travel with him, and then when him and I aren't training, I'm doing my own stuff online. Nice. That's uh, quite the busy uh, life you had there. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty busy, but I love it, man. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. There you go. Uh, so I was going to ask you, what's kind of your philosophy when it comes to weight loss and nutrition? Um, the big thing for weight loss and nutrition for me is always sustainability. Is it something that you can actually – is whatever it is you're following something that you can do forever or for a long period of time? And I don't mean like a week or a month. I mean like could you see yourself doing this for three, four, five years straight? Um, because the way I look at it is any coach can get someone to lose weight, right? It doesn't take a great coach to get someone to lose weight. And it doesn't really take even the most committed person to lose a lot of weight. You see a lot of people just drop a ton of weight very, very quickly, but then they also yo-yo right back up, they rebound and they can't maintain it. And essentially what that's telling me is losing weight isn't the hard part. Maintaining it is the hard part. And if you're trying to do something that isn't maintainable or sustainable or whatever word you want to use, it's just not going to, to work. It's just, you're going to be one of the 99.9% .9 of people who continually go up and down, up and down and are pretty much in a perpetual cycle of, I want to lose five, 10, 15, 20 pounds instead of being part of the point 
1% that's like, yeah, I found something that I can sustain. Maybe it wasn't rapid results at the beginning, but it was slow and steady. And because of that, now I can maintain it for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of just fall into the trap of, you know, they read a magazine or an article online. They're like, oh, this is the this is the diet that's going to get me there. And they go through it. They lose a bunch of weight, go back to normal eating. And they're like, shit, it didn't work. <laughs> right. I mean, what happens is this. You hit the nail on the head is people. Uh, yeah, it's just going. <laughs> OK, awesome. Cool. Uh, so for everyone listening, we just got cut off. But anyway, so. um what 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 the hell was I saying now? Um, oh, people look at a diet, right, as like I'll diet for this period of time until I get to where I want to be and then I'll be good. And they don't realize that like what happens after you're done, like what's going to happen if you're doing a juice cleanse or whatever, what happens when you're done? Like you're not just going to go back to eating what you were before and all of a sudden look just like you do at the end of the juice cleanse. Like what's going to happen when like you go back to everyday life when you need to do what you normally do without being on the most absolutely insanely rigid, um, strict plan. And that's why most people fail. Yeah. And like, it's almost shocking to like hear when clients or people that, you know, say that, Hey, I'm going to be doing this diet. And they tell you all the, like the details of what they have to do. And you're like, Holy crap, that sounds horrible. And you're not like willing to eat vegetables at every single meal. It's insane. I know. And it sucks. And like, what really sucks is that the media really pushes these 30-day, 21-day, 7-day, 24-hour fixes, right? That's like yeah. that's like a great marketing tool that they use and people prey on it because the reality is people are going to pay for convenience. And like people buy these belts that are supposedly good for shaking the fat off their stomach and people buy pills that are going to burn all the fat off their bones and people buy these plans that say you reach your goals in 7 days or less and what really is just not sellable or sexy is, hey, let's fucking work hard and eat really well, and that's what's going to make you stick. That's what's going to make it work. It's just, it doesn't sound as sexy as do it in seven days or less. Yeah, like I was uh, talking to uh, Krista Scott Dixon, and uh, I kind of asked her because they're uh, at PN, their coaching program is one full year, and I was like, kind of curious to see at what point do clients kind of see that breakthrough or like, oh, I get it now. And she actually said it was like eight months into coaching throughout the whole program where, you know, you have a coach checking in with you every single day to see if you're on track. And I'm like, that's that's quite a long time. And people think they can do it in 30 days. Yeah, man, exactly. Exactly, man. Like, I think one of the biggest things that most people don't understand or they aren't like they don't have the perspective is they're going to mess up along the way. And that's totally fine. Like they're going to be like life is going to get in the way. You're going to have to go to a birthday party. You're going to have to go on vacation. You're going to have a weekend where you just go completely off track for whatever reason. And I think those are the instances that most people end up saying, shit, I already screwed up. So I'll just keep screwing up or well, it's already ruined. So whatever. And it's those, those are like the time frames when it's really the most important to just get back on track because if you mess up or slip up or live life, God forbid you go have a slice of pizza you didn't screw up. All it means is that you lived life. And if the best way to get back on track is just to get back on track, if you keep messing up, that's like, that's when things start to pile on and you really make when you go backwards in progress. Um, but so much of this is really just perspective and understanding, like you can't screw it up as long as you just get right back on track. It's a very easy 
excuse just to say, I screwed up. I'll just keep screwing up. That's like an easy way out rather than being like, you know what? I had fun last night. Now I'm back on track. Oh, definitely. Like I tell my clients too, like, especially in summer, realistically, you want to just maintain your weight and not like think that you're going to miraculously drop 10 pounds because, you know, you're going to go on vacation. You'll have the barbecues, you'll have the extra drinks, but kind of look at it as a, you know, almost a break. And then when September hits, you're back on track and trying to hit all your goals and everything like that. A hundred percent, man. I totally agree. And I've always, I always say to my clients, especially on vacation or even in everyday life, maintenance is progress, which is basically my way of saying if let's say you've lost 10 pounds and then you don't lose any more weight for two months, you just maintain that 10 pound loss. That's progress because now your body and your hormones and your everything about your body and like your, how everything works is getting used to that. That's now normal. So even though you haven't continued to go down, you're now your normal is 10 pounds lower and that's progress. So if you go on vacation, the point of vacation isn't to go and continue to lose weight. You should go on vacation and be like, if I fluctuate within like from this point to like plus three pounds, that's a win because I've maintained my weight loss. And then when I get back from vacation, then I can keep going. But like maintenance is progress. Progress isn't only just a downward trend on that, on the scale. Oh, definitely. Like what I, uh, get my clients to do is actually they'll measure themselves in like several different sites, but in centimeters every month. And if any time they feel like they're not making progress, I'm like, okay, we'll go back like 10 months and you'll see like compared to now, that's a huge improvement. And like just having that visual of like numbers going down, it just makes it like psychologically just, uh, better perceived that you're like, okay, I'm on the right track. A hundred percent. I think that's a great idea. A hundred percent. Uh, so I was going to ask you next, since you, uh, train Gary, like what's your best approach in helping like business owners, like top execs trying to, you know, lose weight with a heavy, heavy schedule. The big thing that I found, and it's funny, the more I've trained Gary, the more other like really busy CEOs, execs, like people who are just constantly grinding all day, uh, they more and more have, have come to me. And what I've found is, um, number one, doing something every day is actually really helpful for them. Um, just like to keep in the routine. They're all about routine. A lot of them are very much just like, all right, this is at this time. This is at this time. This is at this time. Just boom, boom, boom. And it doesn't have to be strength training. It doesn't have to be a massive workout every day. Even if it's just doing foam rolling, or even if it's just doing some mobility work, like doing something every day, helps them really get in that mindset of this is just what I do in my life at this time every day. Um, helps a lot. And then also from a nutrition perspective, uh, a lot of times, obviously like for Gary, I keep track of his calories and his, his macros and I do that for him. Um, but one thing that we found is especially on really busy days and even just him in general, he does really well if he doesn't have to think about food. And I've found this consistently with people who just have insanely busy schedules. They don't really think about food all day like a lot of people do. A lot of people who are in the fitness industry or whatever, like they sort of plan their day around their food. Whereas straight up, if I told Gary, listen, you literally are never going to have to chew another bite of food again. I'm just going to give you this pill and that'll be your nutrients and you'll be fine and healthy. He would do it because that means less time, like essentially wasted eating, right? Yeah. So for him and for a lot of these execs, intermittent fasting has been huge where it's like – and I don't even always mean 
just like we won't eat for a certain part of the day and then for the next part of the day we will. I mean literally like we'll do like alternate day fasting where maybe like two days a week he'll just do a 24-hour fast. Mm-hmm. Like it's just two days a week you're not eating and then that gives us other time on – more time on the other days to really like, for example, those would be rest days or like mobility days or just foam rolling days where he just, he would completely fast. And then on the other strength days where we really hit like some serious hypertrophy work and we like, we really put him put him through the ringer, then he can sort of focus on eating more. Um, and that way, like we can take the really busy days of the week, not have to worry about eating, still get a huge fat loss effect on those days and sort of lean gain and lean bulk on those other days. Yeah, definitely. Like the, um, guys that I train with, they own their own business and they come in and they had a busy day. And I'm like, okay, well, when was the last time you ate breakfast? I'm like, awesome. This is going to be sweet for you. Right. Exactly. And like, and they don't even think about it. No, not at all. Cause it's just like meeting after meeting, phone call after phone call, or they're just stuck at their desk and they can't literally move or anything like that. Exactly. Exactly. But, it's uh, not like it's not like they're doing it on purpose. It's literally just like my schedule literally doesn't allow me enough time to go downstairs and get food. Yeah. Like I try to tell them like if you have like a drawer or a shelf, like put a couple protein bars in there, have like a shake a shaker bottle with you with a, a tub of protein or something or a banana, just have it like stuffed like snacks in your desk. So if you can't leave, then you at least have something there. 100% smart. Yeah. Um, going with that, like, how do you help these execs with like, say stress management or just, you know, letting them decompress after a long day like that? Oh man, that's tough. I mean, some of these, some of these execs, they just like, they're constantly thinking they're constantly going like with Gary. I actually, we sort of have to schedule with his assistant cause his assistant makes his schedule in terms of when is a phone call, when is a dinner meeting, when is whatever, and it's sort of like I have to be like, hey, man, we need to make sure that he's home before midnight tonight so that he can actually get some sleep because we're waking up at five to train. Um, so from a decompression, like really the best thing, I don't think I don't think there's one right way or wrong way to decompress. A lot of it is just doing what you enjoy. So Gary, any chance he gets like being with his family is his decompression. He's a family guy at heart. So being able to just stay at home and like relaxed with his wife and kids is huge other execs is like maybe it's like going playing in a beer league of of uh softball or whatever it really depends on the person but being able to just get that time away and not really think not necessarily think about working out or training or nutrition more just like okay what can i do that i just i don't even have to think i can just relax and enjoy is the biggest i also find like those like entrepreneurial like people they almost like the stress always being busy and if they didn't have it they would feel almost like off you know what i mean yeah i think you're right i think what's really funny is what usually happens is when they're really busy and like things are going pop 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 just nonstop all day most people would be really stressed in that but that's where they feel they're most calm and then when they're in a situation like just sitting down and watching tv or just like not doing anything like quote unquote productive that's when they get stressed it's like, I'm not doing anything. What is going on? And it's like, it's a complete reversal. Whereas most people would be stressed in their position. They thrive on that stress and actually get more stressed in a bad way. Like sometimes when they just feel like they're not being productive. Yeah. Do you ever have to like coordinate with his assistant to make sure his schedule fits, uh, like exercise and eating and things like that? 
Absolutely. Every day. Jeez. That was actually one of like the, the biggest struggles for me when I first started was realizing. So Gary, the, the, essentially the name that Gary made for my position is like the CEO of his body. Mm-hmm. It's like I am in charge of his body. So he doesn't really have to think about it, which is totally not a normal situation for what pretty much everyone else in the world has to do. Very few people are in this. But for Gary specifically, he's like, listen, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. I really need you to take the reins. And like, if I need to get a workout in, then you can go into my schedule and tell my assistant, we're canceling this meeting. We're getting a workout in like whatever has to happen. Like if I need to eat and like whatever, if like if, for example, if I have a meeting scheduled at a, at a restaurant and you don't like the food options, you change the restaurant, you tell the assistant and like, we're going to change where the meeting is going to happen. Um, so it's really every, I get complete control because the way Gary phrased it is his health is the most important thing, more than business, more than money, more than anything, his health. So if he needs to sleep more, I can call his assistant and be like, we're canceling this meeting. He's going to go to bed. Or like if he needs to, you know, get in a better meal, we're going to change where the restaurant is or whatever it is. Like I pretty much have complete control over that. Man, I wish some of my clients had that. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's the ideal situation where yeah. it's really, it's just like, it's most people just would never experience that. And it's just not realistic for most people. But if you have the means, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Cause like even the guys that I train that, you know, they're stuck in a meeting or they have to do something and their sessions at the very end of the day, I keep telling them like, even if you're just tired and you, all you want to do is sleep and if you just come in and move, you'd feel a hundred times better. But it's just like that moment that you have to make the decision where, okay, I'm going to get out of my desk and drive to the gym is like the hardest part. It's not even the training. It's just getting there. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's literally just that mental decision, that mental willpower to overcome. Like I'm actually going to go do it. That's the hardest part. Do you do any like tracking with Gary? Like if say like the Apple watch has like those like alarms that, Hey, you need to eat this now, or you need to start moving more like anything like that from the tracking standpoint. No, I, I literally control all of it. I don't, he has no thinking to do on the topic. It's not like, it's not like he's in a meeting and then his alarm will go off. Like you got to move more. It's like, I track everything. So I know if he's in a meeting, I know what his schedule is every day. I know when he's waking up. I know when he's going to bed, I know what he's eating for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I know everything. So pretty much I have all of that data in my head and I know. Okay. Gotcha. Um, when it comes to fat loss, like how do you like to structure workouts? Like what's like kind of the magic number of times per week? What should people be like focusing on based on your opinion? Um, usually just like for everyday people, um, not in a crazy situation like Gary, I say three to four days a week is plenty. Um, a lot of people hear three to four days per week and they automatically assume four days is better and it's not. Uh, what's best is being able to consistently follow a program. So what I always say whenever I work with new clients, I'll say, do you want to train three or four times a week? Because those are the only two options I offer my online clients. Um, and pretty much all of them will say, well, I'm assuming four is better, so I'll go with that. And I say, no, 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 listen. The most important thing is that you can consistently follow a plan. And if I write you a four-day-a-week program, but you can only follow it 70% of the time, you're not going to get as good results as if I write you a three-day-a-week program and you follow that 90% of the time. Um, So I say three to four days per week, and whatever you choose, just make sure you can hit it as often as possible, ideally 90% of the time or more. Yeah, like I find, like even when I get a brand new client and they're all very like gung-ho, like, oh, I want to train like five days a week, and I'm like, well... 
let's let's start with one because you haven't done anything since like college, <laughs> right? Exactly. So you don't exactly. burn out. Like I'm probably the worst salesman too when I get new clients. It's like, yeah, let's start with one day a week. Don't give me your money just yet. But then it's like building a lifestyle because if someone hasn't, you know, done anything and they go into four days a week of just being sore all the time, they're going to quickly realize that this is this exercise thing's not for me. Yeah, exactly. But also just on that topic of like being the worst salesman, that's honestly the best sales tactic because if you were a really shitty coach or if you didn't have a good product, you would try and get them in on the highest possible package immediately because you probably understand they're going to leave pretty quickly because your product is crap. But because you know your product is so good, because you know if they actually do what you say, they're going to make such great progress, then you can you know you can say, just come in one time a week, pay me the least amount, there's no commitment, whatever. And then, But you know that they're going to love it so much and they're going to see such great results and feel so much better that they're eventually not only going to be like, give me two times a week, three times a week, four times a week, give me the highest package. They're also going to refer people your way. It's like it's the best sales tactic for a great product because you don't have to try and like squeeze the most out of them. All you have to do is just show them what you do is so great and they're going to want more. Yeah, like I know I've done a good job is when those like one day a week people – like just come up to me he's like you know what i think i want like a second or a third day what do you got for me <laughs> 100 yeah. 100 man it's the best sales tactic because you're not trying to sell them on anything you're just trying to give them the best product yeah like i think gary said this but like playing the game of the marathon and not the sprint that absolutely like goes hand in hand because you want something sustainable and not just a quick fix and then you're back to being overweight Exactly. Dude, a hundred percent, man. Like even and Gary is like, he's so outrageous, like in his perspective, it's amazing because he's been working out constantly for a little over two years now. And while most people do it for a month or two months, they're like, why the hell don't I like have a six pack yet? Or why don't I, haven't I reached my goal yet? Gary is like, dude, I've only been doing this for like a little over two years. Of course I'm not jacked yet. Like it took me 20 plus years to build my business. Why would I expect my body to be built in two years? It doesn't make sense. Um, it's just like that perspective is huge. Yeah. Cause a lot of people like say if they start training in their like early forties and they expect such, you know, high return. But again, it's like, you've been eating so poorly and not moving for like 20 plus years. You can't expect it to change around so quickly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what's your take on like getting someone motivated or if someone's not feeling like they should work out that day or like, how do you bring the motivation to them or how can someone motivate themselves to get going? It really depends on the person's situation, which I know is the worst answer because it always depends. But like someone like Gary, for example, if he's like, man, I don't feel it today, I'm going to be like, shut up and let's go because that's what he needs. Mm-hmm. Like Gar- Gary's more just like, dude, just just tell me to do it. Even if I tell you I don't, I'm not feeling it, just like make me do it. He's that kind of person. Other people, they don't respond well to that. And other people, like if, they, if they've been working hard and being consistent and they just straight up say, dude, I need a break – I'll give them a break. Like, listen, you just take the break, relax, take the day off. It's fine. But you're coming back the next day and you're going to work really hard. It's like, just understand that it's just a day break. It's not going to be like, Hey, we're going to take two months off now. So, um, I think the best way to motivate someone is to really understand the kind of person that they are and what type of motivation they need as an individual. Some people love that like tough love external, like, let's go. Other people are more like, I need you to sort of just back off because if you try and give them that tough love, that's going to sort of push them away. 
Yeah, like like you said, it depends on the person, but sometimes like people can just be going through the motion and they're not actually like 100% buy into the whole I'm going to change my lifestyle. I just need to exercise because I know it's good for my health. And it might take like a year of that slow progress of just going through the motion and eventually something clicks into their brain. They're like, okay, I'm serious now. And here I go. Exactly. Exactly. Because I've seen a bunch of clients where like some, you know, they'll like feed on everything you give them. And then within eight months of being consistent, they just like change their life. And then you have some clients that, you know, a year or two years of just like showing up, not really putting in that much effort, but they're still showing up. So there's still some like benefit. And then eventually they like have that moment in their head where like, okay, enough of this. I need to get into it. And then out of nowhere, they skyrocket with success. It's funny how that works, isn't it? It's just like everyone's different and there's no right or wrong way. It's really just how is it going to work out for this person? Uh, do you have any like experience with like, say if you had a client with, you know, they're trying to get all healthy, but at home, like say their spouse or like their kids are complete like couch potatoes and they're not even supporting the person that's trying to get healthy. Like how do you deal with people like that? It's so tough, man. It's this the worst situation. It's, it's hard enough when you're the only one who's trying to do it but it's even worse when they're actively going against you and being like why are you doing this you can have just like just once just do this or sometimes they're like you're making us feel bad because you're focusing on your health it's just the worst feeling in the world and i have a name for these people i call them depleters um (laughs) just because like they deplete you of all your energy and your willpower and it's just like every day is it's hard enough just sometimes to have a great diet and workout schedule but then to at compound the fact that the people you're hanging around all the time are just like making it really difficult for you, um, and it's it's the we hear about it in business all the time. It's like you're the average of the five people you hang around most. And like yeah, if you from a productivity standpoint, if the people that you're hanging around are like just sort of watching TV or whatever all day, you're not going to be that productive. Same thing with with nutrition and training. Like if the people you're hanging around are like yeah, we don't need to go to the gym or ah, we don't need to eat well, then you're probably going to be in that situation too. So what I always try and recommend to my clients is if they're in a usually in a family setting everyone loves them like it's yeah. all it's people are actually who love them and care about them and a lot of times they're being these depleters without really being conscious of it um and so my first go-to recommendation is for these pe- people to just literally it sounds weird to say it but essentially essentially have an intervention without calling it an intervention because it's really not that it's not like that type of a it's not a drug thing but sit them down and be like listen this is very important to me um it's really it's really important that i do this and i need your support i really need you to not be saying these types of things doing these types of things and just have a very honest genuine authentic conversation where it's like if you are seriously care about me and love me, I'm not asking you to make a change. I'm not telling you to eat a certain way. I need you to reciprocate and do the same thing for me. I've never had that not work. I've never had that come off in a bad way. Everyone's responded like, wow, I had no idea you really felt that way. And I had no idea that I was being that big of a dick. Um, and so then that sort of changes. And then another thing I always reinforce most people are being that depleter type of a person because they're self-conscious of their own decisions. So if all of a sudden I just start eating healthier around someone who's never eaten healthy or maybe they're a little bit overweight, they're going to start thinking like, crap, like I should be doing that. But if they're not making that change, 
they're going to sort of try and seek you out to make those decisions too so they feel better about themselves. It's like, no, 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 just have a bite of this cake or have a bite of this or whatever because they're having it and they're going to feel better if they're not the only one having it. So it's it's a little bit like, again, it's not them being malicious all the time or like consciously malicious. It's like they're doing it essentially for their own self-preservation, which is like the human condition anyway. Yeah, like uh, it's funny when clients, uh, when I talk to them and I tell them like on the weekend, you know, I drank beer and they're like, you drink beer? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm a human being too. Like, I'm just like you. It's just, you know, it takes time to get to where I am. And it's funny because like when people th- say they're not, you know, eating as healthy as they should and they hang out with somebody that's a super health nut and they think they're like from someone from like outer space, but you see them at a restaurant with you and they order pizza too. And you're like, Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, it's they, funny how that works. People just have this weird idea in their head that if anybody's like healthy and fit, that's like all they eat is lettuce, like a bunny rabbit. And that's it. <laughs> Dude, I can't tell you. So I'm single, but I, I date and it's so funny. Anytime I'm like out with a girl that I just met and I like, so what do you do? And I tell them, and they're always like immediately like, oh my God, you can't believe like I ordered this or don't judge me, like whatever. It's like, listen, I, you can do whatever you want to do. Like I'm not judging at all and like just – but you don't judge me either. I'm, like I'm going to order the burger because I like burgers. So like it's it's so funny that people have this perception that personal trainers or nutrition coaches just eat quote unquote clean all day every day or whatever. It's so funny. Yeah, like on the weekends, I always say like I always have that one cheat day where like two, three meals. It just, I just go for it because <laughs> you gotta enjoy life too. That that's what most people don't understand. I think, and I think for them it's surprising because I think they have this idea where it's like you have to eat perfectly in order to achieve your body, the, your goal body, and they don't understand that. No, you can like go and enjoy yourself and have a treat here and there and be more moderate with all these things while still achieving your goals. Um, I think that's part of the initial shock that comes with it. And like people are so surprised that you can do both at the same time. Yeah. And then the media doesn't help either when they're like teaching everybody that there's bad foods and good foods. And I'm like, I don't really think there's a lot of bad foods, the ones that they're trying to like say, because food like gives us nutrients and nourishes us and the moment you start cutting out crap you're not going to feel really good about yourself exactly and then one, one of the easiest ways that i explain it to my clients like listen I'm, i always say so are you supposed to eat clean in order to lose weight and they're always like yes you have to and i'm like okay so what is clean and like they'll always everyone will have a different definition they always have a hard time explaining it. i'm like well what's a clean food and they're like, uh, I'm like, listen, some people think clean is low carb. Other people think clean is low fat. Some people think clean is organic. Other people think clean is non-GMO, whatever. There's no definition of clean. And the reality is, yes, if you want to lose weight and look better naked and perform at your best, you should probably be eating mostly quote unquote healthy foods, lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of lean meats that should make up the majority of your diet. But there's no reason why you can't also include some treats and some snacks 20% of the time indulge here and there because the reality is, and research actually shows, flexible dieters are way more successful in the long term than rigid dieters. People can only maintain a very rigid, rigid diet for a short period of time. But if you're able to be more flexible with it and roll with the punches and sort of just go with the flow while being consistently good, there's just a big difference between consistency and rigidity. Consistency is just like doing things the majority of the time, and that's how you're going to maintain it. Rigidity is like 
you, it's all or nothing, do or die. And if you're that mentality, it is just almost impossible to maintain. Yeah, I think uh, people hate the idea of losing control of what they eat. But if they do have the control, they're most likely going to stick onto that diet because sometimes it's like even if they don't know how to prepare the certain food and they're just like, oh, I just I don't like kale because it doesn't taste good. It's like, well, if you found a recipe that will make it taste good, you'll like it and you'll probably be consistently eating it. Yeah, or like you just don't even need to eat kale. Like yeah. straight up, you don't need to eat kale to be healthy. Like you, you can whatever you want. You don't have to eat kale. Just like there's no like food that you can't eat, there's also no food that you absolutely have to eat. Exactly. Uh, I was going to ask you, one of the questions I got on Twitter was like, if you're a complete beginner, like what's, what would be your take on how to cross that barrier of being intimidated going into the gym for the first time and changing the whole lifestyle? Um, great question. Most people are intimidated to go to the gym. And tell me if you're if you think I'm wrong or disagree, so we can chat about it. What I found is most people are intimidated because they don't want to look stupid or they don't want people to think that they're they don't know what they're doing or whatever. Um, and straight up, honest to God, ninety nine point nine percent of the people in the gym who go there every day, even the people who look fit and big, don't know what the hell they're doing. And most of them are like, "What in the hell am I doing? I hope no one thinks I look stupid." Almost everybody in there, including a lot of personal trainers. Um, so the big thing is just understand feeling that way is normal. Feeling like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing is a normal thing to feel. And understanding that probably everybody else in there is feeling the same way as well. And to that point, no one is paying attention to what you're doing. No one gives a shit what you look like. No one gives a shit what you're doing. No one is paying attention to you. Everyone is paying attention to themselves. Everyone's looking in the mirror. Everyone's wondering what they, what they look like, what they're doing right or wrong. It's like if you're intimidated to go into the gym, just remember the only one who really cares about what you're doing is you. Um, and as long as you go in and focus on you and just like just work hard, you're going to see progress. You're going to see results. There's no way around it. Um, and if if you're letting that intimidation keep you from going in the gym, you're just shortchanging yourself. Like I understand it can be intimidating and scary, and that's fine. And And recognize it and feel it and appreciate it for what it is, but then kick it in the fucking face and just go into the gym and do work. Like, don't let that keep you from doing it. Don't let that be your excuse. Cause when you're 90 years old and on your deathbed or whatever, you're not going to look back and say like, Oh wow, I'm really glad I didn't go in the gym because I was nervous. You're going to say, shit, I can't believe that. Like I let that get to me and I didn't just say like, just be braver and go in and do it. Yeah. Like, that kind of ties in also with like a goal. Like if you had a goal of like, Hey, I want to be able to see my grandchildren grow up and run after them, then Hey, maybe you should go to the gym. And that little insecurity of like, Oh, I don't know if I should, will probably go away pretty quickly. hundred percent. Yeah. I totally remember like I used to work at a big box gym and just watching the stuff that people would do. It's, it's so funny. And they're like, they're, totally into it they think it's completely right and i'm just like sitting back i'm like man yeah i mean honestly for me the biggest thing is just i want to see people working hard and like what sucks is there's so much misinformation out there and like there are some people like are taught the wrong things and like for like for i know like a lot of people like to film people in the gym doing stupid stuff and i'm I'm not a big fan of that mostly because if someone's in the gym sweating and working it's just like props you're you're doing what most people don't do it just sucks that there's so much misinformation out there that people are being led to believe like you have to do like 
one-legged overhead presses on a BOSU ball. It's like their time. Like what? That's what really sucks is you have all these people who are putting in so much effort because, but they're not going anywhere because they're being misled to think that that's like there. There's a right. The the way to train is the whatever they're doing is the right way, and it's just being so ineffective and inefficient and and dangerous in a lot of cases. Yeah, like, when I was working for that big box gym, like, I always thought to myself, like, the crappy part was that if a brand new person signed up, you have the trainer kind of show them around, they show them, like, that, like, machine circuit that hits everything in your body, and then that's it, and then, like, that's all they know, so then every time I went in and saw the same person that signed up three months ago, they're still doing the same thing, because they don't know any better, Whereas if they had a system where like every three months that same coach would, you know, check in with them, one, you probably make more money selling personal training because then it's like, oh, if I keep seeing this person, I'll learn more and I won't feel as stupid and I won't get bored at the gym. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough because like those big box gyms, they just kind of hope to, you know, sign somebody up and then they don't show up after three months and they just continue paying that monthly fee <laughs> and then just yeah. churn more new members like that going through the whole system. And like, I even have clients that have memberships from like the eighties that are paying like five or seven bucks a month and they won't stop paying it because it's so cheap. <laughs> it's, I know it's, it's crazy. It's like the best model. It's the planet fitness model. Yeah. Just make it so cheap that they don't even think about it. Yeah, like the other thing, like um, for people, if they feel kind of nervous or intimidated going to the gym, I would honestly just ask one of your friends that's like, I, I'm pretty sure everybody has that one friend that's like a complete gym rat. And I'm sure if you ask that person, like, hey, can I come work out with you and kind of learn what to do? And you'd be set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 100%. Because, yeah, you could go scroll through your Facebook and there's obviously that one person that all he does is post, you know, selfies of him in the mirror at the gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's all the questions I got for you. But uh, if you can just tell everybody kind of like where they can find you online, like what's your website, where are you at on social media, if you have any projects or like speaking engagements or anything like that. Yeah, so I have a bunch of different websites, but really um, probably the best place to find me right now is if you want the best of strength training and nutrition and fat loss all in one, uh, powerliftingforfatloss.com. It's for men. It's for women. It's pretty much you just get when you sign up for free, you get a a three-day week strength training program, nutrition webinar, a whole bunch of great stuff. Um, And that's where you can stay in contact with me via email, and I'll just sort of fill you in on all my exclusive content. Um, so powerlifting for fat loss and then site fitness on Instagram, site fitness on Facebook. That's really where I update my social media most. Um, no big speaking engagements planned right now, mostly just because I'm traveling constantly, usually traveling at least four to six days per week, every week. Um, but if you have any questions, let me know if you, if you go get that training program, the workout program on powerliftingforfatloss.com, you'll have my email. You can contact me directly. I always answer every single email. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. And I hope this was helpful. I hope you took a lot out of it. And again, if you have any questions, reach out anytime. I'm more than happy to chat. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, dude. Thank you for having me. I sincerely appreciate it.